get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tyler O'Neill have struggled of late hitting with runners at second and third and that continues here they're 0 for 10 in the series Walker has a base hit and the Cardinals have the bases loaded with one out right back to the mound it's easy as one two three and they're out of it look at that Cardinals have them second and third nobody out happy birthday to you did he go yes Holderman strikes out Wilson Contreras Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Colin Holderman has struck out back-to-back hitters. And a fly ball. Center field. Reynolds will squeeze it and want a job for Holderman. Line drive. Caught at second base by Marcano. And the Pirates have taken two of three from the Cardinals in St. Louis. You can raise the jolly no secret that we we're not driving in the runs that we want to at the moment uh do i think it's a matter of time yes but if you want to break that game open at, at some point and you're not able to and then we left the, the bases loaded there so alongside alex ferrario and Tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn listen the cardinals won yesterday and that audio by the way courtesy of valley sports midwest and then uh the pirates tv network as well hate it when we have to hear raise the jolly roger on a monday <laughs> but here we are it's weird because yesterday the Cardinals came away with a win. Yeah, it was did. a nice win. A walk-off winner. Tommy <laughs> Edmond got a hit against a righty, which has been a rare occurrence so far yeah. this season. Don't mind you all the opportunities prior to that to close the game out. And that's why I wanted to start this way, Alex. The Cardinals with runners in scoring position has become a consistent rally cry from a certain segment of the Cardinals fan base, and now it is only growing louder. The Cardinals have spent all year, basically, top 10 in batting average, top 10 in on-base percentage, top 10 in OPS. But right now, they are 22nd in runs per game because they're batting just 245 with runners in scoring position. And that actually sounds a little better than what it really is. The problem is actually their inability to get slugging percentage with runners in scoring position their inability to crack a game wide open when they've got less than two outs and the bases loaded this year the number of opportunities that they had over the weekend to just destroy the pirates honestly they should have ran all over them and instead the cardinals finished that series i did the numbers earlier today i gotta move some of my stuff out of the way to get these for you The Cardinals led in those individual games at the end of an inning. Game one, zero innings. Game two, four innings. Game three, three innings. Game four, one inning. They led for a total of eight innings in that series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's fine. It's not good enough. We can talk all we want till we're blue in the face about this pitching staff. Alex, the offense is where the scrutiny really needs to go. I believe it'll get better. 
but so far this year, that is the story of the season thus far, is that your offense has not been what it was expected to be. And I don't know. We can sit here and say, I believe it will get better, but I mean, you just went up against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and although Tanner does believe that that's a great pitching staff they, on the other side. They pretty well. I, I mean, you're looking at a scenario. We ended that Colorado Rockies series that Nolan Arenado hit that cleared the bases and then the Nolan Gorman home run. And we said, maybe that's the, uh, maybe that's the busting out point for this team. Maybe, maybe that was yesterday. Maybe yesterday yeah. in the 10th inning, you know what Tommy Edmund, You're right. that is what's going to get him. Joe Walker watching that strike three with the bases loaded. Was that exactly what we were hoping for to bust through? That's that a good not pitch. what I was referencing. They, they're right now. There's two guys when they step to the plate with runners in scoring position that I don't get the tight butt cheeks with. And Nolan Gorman is one of them. Nolan Gorman's one of them, and Paul Goldschmidt's the other. Which Arnado. Is, Arnado's been good. Eh, he's also had his moments, and yeah. that's my MVP right there. But, I mean, we went from talking about a lineup that we were like, oh, man, I don't know how you're going to be able to get through this if you're another pitching staff to where now it just seems like they know how to get them. Just throw the ball low and away, hit some contact, and you're probably going to get either a pop-out or a ground-out, and you're talking about getting through the inning. And, I mean, I just watched that Pittsburgh Pirates starting pitching staff and bullpen find a way to just clear it. And, frankly, that's a little... I don't want to say infuriating, but it's a little intimidating right now if I'm talking about this Cardinals team. It's also infuriating. You can say Yeah, it. yeah. yeah. That's fair. Well, you know what? I had I feel like I had a lot of anger on Friday, and I'm trying to be a little bit more calm today. That's I fair. do feel do you guys feel this way? Like Friday I was mad. Friday I was, I was big mad. I was mad. Today at you. I'm just like I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I felt you were mad in the group chat on Saturday too. But you know, I, I think we'll that's get to fair. why I was mad at the group chat yeah, on Saturday yeah, coming up fair. in the next hour. Oh boy! But I, I, I do think. Look, I think everything's going to be fine with the offense because they're having opportunities with runners on base, and that's the big thing for me. Is yes, I know they're not coming through, but I think at some point they will. I don't think they're going to be this bad because it would be historically bad <laughs> with the bases loaded and with runners in scoring position. So I, I think the offense is going to turn it around. I, I do think when you when you look at them. Yes, they're not going to be able to take care of teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates, for example, who I think are better than we were expecting going into the year. Is this what we're doing now? After a series where the Cardinals lose, like, oh, maybe they were going to be better than what we thought they were. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I think uh, I think they're not going to be able to put away teams, and they're not going to have they're going to have trouble winning series. Like Arizona's not going to be a walk in the park this this uh, three game set. They're going to struggle to win series and put teams away if the offense doesn't do their job because they are an offensive identity team. Their pitching, we can talk about, as you said, all we want. Their offense is going to be the reason they win the division or make the playoffs and determine their fate in the playoffs. So, so th- that's what I wanted to get to next. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. The offense, BK, have you watched this starting rotation? The only one that doesn't give the uh, fans the tight cheeks is Jordan Montgomery. Woo-hoo. The pitching is this team's biggest problem. Jack was good so, last outing. Here's what I would compare this to. Alex, when when your daughter is walking Don't around the house. Don't you bring my daughter into this. I think you'll be with me here. Oh, okay. She could probably hit with the bases loaded. She absolutely can. You don't get mad at her for carrying around a cup and spilling all over the place because she's a child. Tino That's what Ferrario. happens. I'm mad at myself for not putting a lid on that cup. Exactly. That's <laughs> on you, really. I don't get mad at the Cardinals pitching staff for not being very good. <laughs> this is who they are. So you're saying my daughter is the Cardinals pitching staff and I'm John Mozeliak. Correct. I should have put a lid on that cup. Well, yeah. no, I'm, I'm saying that. No, yeah, you should have. If you were walking around the house and you're like spilling all over the place. Probably should go to the doctor. <laughs> that would be the offense. You're the Cardinals offense. <laughs> oh, okay. You should be better than I that. I do that. You know better, right? And so this is how I judge the Cardinals is. 
The Cardinals offense should be excellent. It has the talent to be outstanding. And as Tanner mentioned, they're getting the opportunities with the runners on their top 10 in Major League Baseball this year in terms of plate appearances with runners in scoring position. What does that mean? Man, those are opportunities for people that get mad about the RBI stat, right? I think there's value in driving runs in. Nolan Arenado says, hey, I value the fact that I drive in 100 runs every single season. That's important to me. There is value in that. But it is also an opportunity. It's a statistic. If you're on a terrible team, you're not going to get many opportunities to drive runners in. This is not that. This is not their their inability to get guys on. They're getting guys on. They're hitting the ball well. They are squaring it up regularly. But then they get into the runners in scoring position spot or a runner on third with less than two outs or the base is loaded with one out. And somehow, and it's always something new it feels like, they find a way to not drive those guys in. That's what has to get corrected. And I am with Tanner. I think it will. This team just doesn't forget how to hit whenever the runners get on. They they have hit, I know nobody wants to hear it, into some really bad luck. And when you have these things that continue to happen early in a season, you expect that to get corrected. That's going to get fixed, Alex. Yeah, I I, uh, I remember that conversation, too, with Matt Carpenter, where it was like, hey, all the analytics are telling us how hard he's hitting the ball, and he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. That salsa is just going to make itself. And Now, there was one season when that ended up being true. And in the next three seasons, it ended up being, oh, he's hitting 100. All right, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. There's a 50-50 shot. I'm, thing I'm fixed. telling you it's the same chance I'll as the it. Blues winning that draft lottery, but I'm no, we got a better certain, shot than that. It's no, a 3 percent chance. 3.5%. I'll put it at that. Uh, again, there's there's individuals that I'm fine with, like the Paul Goldschmidt's and the Nolan Arenados. Wilson Contreras is finally breaking through in those scenarios. But then it's guys like Jordan Walker, who, look, it's a young player. He's going to run into those situations. It's a guy like Brennan Donovan, who's had his ups and downs in the early portion of the season. The other outfielders that we're talking about with O'Neal and Carlson, there's just certain areas of your lineup right now that when you get to it with runners in scoring position, you're like, oh, bleep, really? This is where we're going to get the runners in scoring position? I, I mean, I, I guess that's fair, but like Burleson, I feel pretty good about right now. Goldie, I feel good about. Arenado, Contreras, I know that he's had his struggles this year, but he'll he'll be fine. Gorman, I feel good about. Newt Bar, I feel good about. I, I just went through six different guys on your roster. Donovan, you're not paying him to to be a run, uh, to, to drive in runs. You're paying him to be a run producer where he's getting on was a base. real thing uh, it hasn't been lately but it's fine everything's gonna be fine with him just like matt carpenter i mean when you've got six dudes in the middle of your order that you feel pretty good about driving in runs this will get fixed it just hasn't yet and over the weekend it was super frustrating to watch because the pirates are supposed to be a walkover and maybe this is a part of what the early portion of the season has taught us which is the division is not as bad as we expected it to be. I'm not here to sell you guys that the Pirates are good. They're I'm not. Saying. They're better. But I, I think they are more than a cakewalk this year. I don't think they're going to lose 110 games or something crazy like that. They're a competent baseball team this year. And I they've think, got pretty decent pitching. I think if you plucked the Braves and put them in the, was this weekend. I think if you plucked the Braves in the NL Central, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I, I think you're. I think that's fair. I think the Cardinals are also struggling. Like, I think both of those things can be true. The Cardinals are not performing up to expectations and the Pirates are performing a little better than we expected them to be. I think that'll all even out over time. The Cardinals are going to be pretty good. They're going to start scoring more runs than what we've seen. And when they do, boy, howdy, this offense is going to look fun. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. But next, Doug Armstrong, the Blues president of hockey operations, was very honest over the weekend of his assessment of this year's season 
We're going to ask him here on BK and Ferrario next what this offseason is going to hold for the Blues and how significant is this offseason for Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas to take that next step? We'll talk to Doug Armstrong, Blues president of hockey operations next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario as we're back on BK and Ferrario here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. As the Blues head into the offseason, they had their media availability on Saturday. Doug Armstrong, Craig Bruby, and many of the players spoke with the media. And now joining us on our 101 ESPN hotline, it's a pleasure to welcome in the president of hockey operations for St. Louis. He is Doug Armstrong. Doug, how are you today, sir? I'm very good. How are you? Doing fantastic. I'm a little disappointed we didn't get to talk to you on Thursday, as you said in the press conference. It would have been uh, much juicier than what it is now that you're able to uh, think about it a little longer. Yeah, well, anytime you anytime you end a season the way we did, uh, it's very disappointing. And probably having a a couple of uh, days to reflect it. Uh, it was a it was a better time to talk uh, publicly. Understandably so. So, Doug, if we could jump right in, the one comment that that I took away from your press conference on Saturday was you talking about the disconnect between you and your roster, and you said it's the first time you felt this disconnected from your players. And you've been around the National Hockey League a very long time, from your time with the Dallas Stars, and of course since you've been with the St. Louis Blues. What about this season made you feel so disconnected? Yeah, I, I think I, it probably grew a little bit bigger life than I intended to, that comment. I, I guess what I was trying to say, at 58 uh, years old, there's there's that next generation of, of players that are coming in. And I've been always been able to, when I started, I was in my, my mid-20s and then was, was sort of current with what the, the thought process was. And then, you know, when players were coming into the league, I was dealing with my children that were going at that, as, at that same age so I could sort of reflect on what they were dealing with and take it back to what guys are dealing with at the at the office. And in our industry, you know, the only the only people that get older are the, are the coaches and the managers. The players stay the same age. <laughs> they just recycle through. And what I was trying to say is that there's a there's a generation of people coming in now that I don't have a lot of familiarity with on what they're dealing with. And I just think it's my responsibility to, to try and learn a little bit more on how we can support those guys. Uh, and this was just like the, quite honestly, since the pandemic, a lot of things have changed on how we, how we travel, how we uh, communicate. We, we spent two years uh, of traveling where uh, you'd have to go get your, your meal and then go to your room and eat it. You weren't allowed to have any social interaction with the players everyone was wearing masks it was just a different time i'm not saying hockey was any different than society but there was a disconnect i think for everybody in society and then i came out of this and then i had lost a generational you know connection with my kids at that age group so it's more i just need to to, to maybe dig in and read a little bit and try and find out uh, maybe from some college teams on when they're recruiting, what's important to them and how do they connect with the kids that are recruiting? Because ultimately we're doing the same thing, not that much as recruiting is drafting, but they're still the same age and probably dealing with the same uh, issues. Is that the state of the NHL now 
though, Doug, because you mentioned in your press conference the Boston Bruins and how, you know, they, they always have that mindset that practice is, is not punishment. It's more work towards the ultimate goal. But is that the NHL that trends to a younger group of players now that you've got to find a way and other teams have to find a way to get those players to buy into putting the focus on the other side of the game? I think I think that is, you know, they're they're their social rewards come from, from offensive instincts. Uh, as I said, you can, you can have one good play in a night and, and get millions of clicks on it. And, uh, and that's a good thing. I think that sells our game. Uh, but I look at Boston, if you go look at their roster, they're a very mature team. They, they're led by mature players uh, like we were in 19 that, that probably aren't, they don't deal with some of the issues as younger teams do. And uh, I just want to make sure that, that we can have a balance of uh, veteran players and younger players uh, and I can and I can find a way to connect with both. But yeah, I think there's a there's a generational change. I think with uh, again showing my age with like um, you know TikTok and and all, all these Instagram and all these things that that are very important to a to an age group that are, are have zero relevance in my life. But because they're not relevant in my life, doesn't mean they're not relative to the people I, I work with. Doug Armstrong is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He's the Blues president of Hockey Operations. Uh, Army, anytime that we talked about the Blues this year, it felt like it all came back to Kairou and Thomas. And a lot of that stemmed from the contract extensions, of course, uh, for both of them over the offseason that they both deserved. They earned. When you think about this next era of Blues hockey that you all are trying to usher in, is it fair to say that it will be defined by the steps that those two players in particular are able to take in their games? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that they have to be big parts of it. But if you look back at, at the success we've had, uh, it's never been based off of one or two people. Uh, you know, I look back at, at the decade of uh, 2010 to, to the end of, if you take out this year, uh, we had, I think, the best success rate in almost every category in the Western Conference. And we'll probably have not one player go to the Hall of Fame uh, from that era. So we've always been been the sum of all the parts and I think that Thomas and Kyrie have to be very good players for us but I've talked to uh, I've talked to some people like like a year from now when Snuggerud and, and Dean and Bolduke come into the league uh, as, and we need them to come in as players they have the same trajectory or drafted in the same area as Thomas and Kyrie so w- they need to support those guys uh, they're going to be big parts of it but I, I think it would be uh disingenuous to to the other 21 guys in the 23-man roster to say that if these two guys don't do it, we, we can't have success. Doug, you, you mentioned, too, on Saturday about you know players like Pavel Buchnevich where maybe you lose a little on the offensive side to gain more on the defensive side, and you comped it to like a Patrice Bergeron. Is that a conversation that might need to take place with the entire roster over the offseason of, look, as much as we are an offensive identity – individual players might have to take a step back on the offensive side to focus more on the defensive side. Yeah. A, I think we got to get our roster set first. Uh, but, but those are, those are individual meetings that, that uh, Craig has. And, you know, I, ha- I always want to be causing the fact, you know, the players play coaches, coach and managers manage. And I think that's more of a, that's more of something that Craig has to install in players more than I do. That's my, that's my belief and my concept, but Craig has to deliver that and then he has to hold them accountable to that. And I know he will. Uh, but uh, I, I think that we, we've, we've talked enough now where everyone knows where the management's head is at. Uh, Craig and I are going to continue when we fill out his staff to make sure we're all on the same page, but there has to be a balance of, of 
you know, giving to the greater good. And uh, I think I think the guys can accept that if if giving to the greater good and there, there's good things happen, it's easier to do than surrendering points and playing on bad teams. Then you can you can see an avenue in your own mind to be selfish. And if we have a good team, I think the players are much more apt to to give more to be part of something bigger than themselves. Army, when I think about the last really 15 years of Blues hockey, I, I think two words that have kind of been synonymous with the Blues is culture and leadership. And I feel like we talked about those two things so much this year, whether it was you guys talking about it after that losing streak early on this year or as we've continued to go along this season. When you think about culture and leadership, especially when there was the losing going on, is that something that in your mind is more dictated by winning? Like when you win, there feels like there's a better culture around or is there, is there something you can do to implement a better culture starting in training camp and uh, moving into the regular season? How do you do that as a, as a president of hockey operation? And then it trickles down, of course, into the team. Well, I sort of view those as non-negotiable standards that, that you have. And uh, that's almost opposite what you said. I, I think any culture is good as long when you're winning, like because you're winning. So you, you can, you can believe you have a good culture because the results are there, but you can also have a good culture when things aren't going well, it gets you out of bad times quicker. And I think there's a transition. And as much as I wish every year was a Rembrandt and every year was 115 points and every year our leaders were the greatest leaders and every year our goaltender was, <laughs> you know, there, there, there's 32 teams and, 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 there's a winner and a loser every night, and what you what you don't want to do is is have your identity wrapped up just in your wins and losses. You want your identity wrapped up in how you play the game and how you how you treat the game and how you treat things inside the locker room. And that's what I was one of the points that I think I, I, I attempted to make on Saturday was that we might be in the same spot a year from now of not making the playoffs, and I could view it as you know what we made great strides in certain cultural areas. Uh, right now, I don't. I don't think we made. I, th- I thought we had a decrease in cultural cultural areas that 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 the players talked about, the coaches talked about. So I'm not the only one that felt like that. And I think those are things that we can change. And I, I think the culture, if you if you can build it, uh, and you have a bad year and you have a good culture, you're going to get back to having a good year quicker. How do you evaluate leadership, Army? I, I'm trying to think of the best way to to ask this, but when when you think about the guys that you guys had in that locker room, I mean, you, you had so much of it over the years. And whether it's due to injury, trade, uh, age, there's a million different reasons why some guys have moved on. But how do you evaluate leadership inside of a team? Uh, it, it, I, I don't think that there's a – you can come into your office and, and, and hit a checkbox that you saw it today. I, I just think it, it's more organic. It's more natural. It's, it's – how do you carry yourself around the team? How do you, like, I, I, you know, we, we have certain, like when a player gets called up, uh, do, do you let them stay at the hotel or do you invite them over to your house for dinner? Do you, when a player gets called up, do you make sure that you take them for lunch on the road or do you let them, like, like do you bring them into your team? And that's just one example of cultural things uh, that, that we've had here in the past that we'll continue to strive to make sure that we have. And I, I think, Again, I go, I go back to making sure I understand uh, what, what makes people tick right now. And then I also think that we can, we can change their, maybe the way they see things. Like, uh, you know, understanding that 
you know, when you got called up for the first time, did, did someone take you for a coffee? Did someone sit with you in the meal room a little extra longer? Or did they? Did you just have to sit by yourself and then go back to your hotel room? And I know the answer to that was guys took time to make sure that guys felt comfortable. And those are cultural things and those are leadership things that, that can be learned, that can be, that, that we can, we can help uh, feed. And I think one of the things that you want to do as, as, as part of a management staff, whether it's at uh, IBM or at a, at a hockey rink is you want to, you, you can change, you can change and, and help leadership grow. Uh, you can't just uh, plant it and then, and then not water it, not nurture it and they'd be surprised it dies. So there's things that, that, that we have to do as management to give these guys the best opportunity to have that, that, that success. And is it, reading books is it audio books that help them is it uh is it seminars or, or what what can we do to to um uh, give them the opportunity to see things that, that they might not naturally see it's a quick follow-up with that doug is that something you view that a, a team can change with personnel or is it more so it just needs to change with the players that are in that locker room well i i think what it is it, it's a it's an organizational thing players are going to come and go it's what do, what do they what do they leave behind when they leave and what are they walking into when they get here and that's that's the thing that stand the test of time uh, and so what we want to build is something that that as i said even if you have a bad year you can have a good culture i mean you can have a your culture doesn't change because somebody uh, breaks their foot on a slap shot you know <laughs> and, and, and your and your team loses seven in a row you know what I mean? Or like that, that doesn't change your culture. So I I think the culture is more of something that, that overrides when Doug Armstrong is here and when Doug Armstrong is gone or the next manager, or it's something that's just sort of ingrained and, and not knowing a lot about baseball, uh, I, I, the Cardinals have a culture and fans can get mad at the wins and the losses, but it, from the outside looking in, it looks like they have a culture that that's sustainable year in year out, and I think we do too. And and we just have to continue to to nurture and foster that. A couple more questions for President of Hockey Operations for the St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong, who's very gracious with his time today on BK and Ferrario with us. Doug, I know the personnel moves that started this off season was letting go of Mike Van Ryn and Craig McTavish. Was there a thought process between you and Craig Berube of not bringing them back? And and is there a, a type of personality that you're looking for to replace them this season? Uh, well, Craig and I are going to do, uh, uh, we're going to have some, I'm heading over to Europe tomorrow for 13 days for the U18, which is uh, scouting this year's draftable players. Uh, I think also giving Craig a little bit of time to to remove himself from the, the day-to-day, uh, reflect for a couple of weeks, and we can come back in and, and find out what, what you know, so when you when you have a pitcher and, and Craig is the center of the pitcher, we want we want to I want to fill in the rest of that uh, the rest of that puzzle with with pieces that fit. So what what are Craig's strengths? What are Craig's weaknesses? What what can we bring in to to accent uh, the strengths and and fill in some of the weakness areas? And the reality is we all have strengths and weaknesses. So this isn't just one coach, but uh, a good a good organization has the depth and the ability to to look in the mirror and know areas they need to improve and know areas where you can bring people in that can fill out uh, fill out that picture so that's going to be our first step in 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 finding out hey what we need uh on the ice as far as tactically and then what type of personality we need that can uh, fill in whatever voids that are there 
another follow-up that I wanted to ask on something that you said on Saturday, Doug, is, is about the captaincy in today's NHL. You talked about how you're not really sure exactly whether or not you're going to have one going into this offseason. And then you said, we're not planning on naming anybody in the next few months at a minimum. When you think about the role of a captain in today's NHL, what do you think that role is? Well, I think it's defined by by your team, and 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 I, I again I go back to reading books on 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 leadership by committee now, and I, I think most sports are leadership by committee. I, I think when you probably in, in every in every business, not just they they talk about our team, our team, 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 and you you want to have alpha males on that team, but it doesn't have to be one. Uh, and if you if you have a dominant personality that that you know is that guy and then then it's easier when you have a bunch of of really good people uh you don't have you don't have to separate one from from the rest uh, and then that's something that that we struggle with all the time i i work with people that, that think i'm absolutely crazy they, you have to have a captain you have to have one guy and i work with other guys that uh they, i see where you're coming from and i've seen multiple teams go without a captain for a couple of years to, to see how things settle out. So I'm not against having a single captain. I just want to make sure that we're doing it for the right reason and not just because it's been the norm and for the St. Louis Blues for 50-some-odd years to have a captain. So why don't we have one this year? Final question that I've got for you, Doug, and thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Uh, we appreciate it, as always. Uh, it was just announced a little bit ago that the Calgary Flames are, are going to be making a move at their general manager position and I wanted to ask you about the NHL in general with the transition that seems to be taking place right now. It's the first time that we've seen a postseason that did not include the Penguins or the Capitals in more than 15 years. Of course, the Blues are going through this transition period that we just watched this year as well. Uh, from your perspective, Doug, when you look around the NHL, is this as much of a transition as you've seen in, in quite some time with the things that are taking place right now in the league? Well, I think it is, and I, I think it's natural. Uh, you probably saw it in football with the Patriots. Like uh, again, I'm not making these things up. Like look at St. Louis, look at Pittsburgh, look at Washington since 2010 to now, consistently in the top ten in the league, usually in the top five in the league in points. And uh, at some point, that that ends. At some point, teams that that pick in the top five or six for five or six years, get good. <laughs> and, and, we, and we saw that last year with Colorado and, and I'm happy for Colorado, but the reality is, is they had five or six players drafted in the first, certainly in the first 10. I think they had four in the first five, like at some point you're going to get good unless you're totally incompetent. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't think they are totally incompetent. So there, there, there is a changing of the guard, but, but also look to how Pittsburgh and Washington got there. They took Malkin at two, Crosby at one, Fleury at one, uh, Whitney at four. Uh, Washington took Ovechkin and, and Backstrom, and I mean, there, there's pain to get those players. And if you get the right players through the right pain, you can go on on a run. And sometimes that run ends, and you want to start it again. So there is a transition. I would say when I look at the NHL now, I really don't see New Jersey leaving again for a while. I, I I'll be I'll be more surprised than ever if Buffalo is not a playoff team next year and stays there for a while. Uh, and quite honestly, they should be. I mean, 
because of, of how the pain they went through to get here. So there is a transition. I think Washington, St. Louis, Pittsburgh are going through that transition. People thought Boston was quite honestly going to go through that transition this year. Now they didn't. Now will they? Where will they be next year? If if you know w- w- whatever happens with their group, I don't want to get the cart in front of the horse. But you know, there, there's always there's always a changing of the guards, and uh, our job is to to adapt to that as quick as possible so we can get back again, starting another run for hopefully you know six to six to ten years of, of really good hockey. Well, the good news, Doug, is I've already come up with a conspiracy theory of how you guys are going to win the draft on May 8th. I'm putting it out into the universe, so it'll start that trend right away. Appreciate you uh, you joining us, Doug, uh, and taking the time out, not just today, but all season long. Enjoy Europe, enjoy the off season, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon. Well, just let, before you go, if you have something that's magical, don't share it with anybody. We want to win that lottery. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, Doug, I promise you, I'm going to keep this hocus-pocus work at my house in the basement, and you'll just know when you win the draft that I have that magic working. As soon as we do, within half an hour, you and I are doing an interview. Oh, please. Oh, please. please. Absolutely. <laughs> sure I don't happens. care what time it is, Doug. <laughs> Thank you so much, Doug. Right. Enjoy the off season. Awesome, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for all your support all year long, too. Definitely. There right. you go. Blues, Doug Armstrong, yep. Blues president of hockey operations, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Alex, I think you need to get your conspiracy theories going because we just locked in a follow up interview with Doug Armstrong. What are you talking about? I sincerely appreciate that. Get my conspiracy theories going. I've been doing this rain dance for the last five years, people. I knew the Blackhawks were going to move up 10 spots from 13 to third. You knew the Rangers were going to draft first overall. This rain dance has been going on. So we did get this from the 314. And this is always something that takes place whenever you have an interview with somebody like Doug Armstrong. We could have interviewed him for an hour and still had 15 more oh questions. Yeah, I had a ton, but I'm not going to keep the man longer than 20 minutes. Where are the questions on the draft? Is he making all three first round picks, free agency, or trade for a top nine forward? What's his plan? How long does he think this retool will be? Come on, guys. Ask the questions that matter. I think it's hilarious. You thought if we would have said to Doug bluntly, hey, Doug, are you going to draft all three players? Or are you going to trade for somebody? You would have answered us. So first of all, I can answer a few of those based on questions that we have already asked him previously. And what he said on Saturday. Is he making all three first round picks? He plans on selecting the first pick that, they, uh, that they're going to have, whether that's at 10 or if it moves up. He mm-hmm. plans on selecting there. The other two picks, as we have talked about with him previously and he answered on Saturday, he's not sure. Could depend. Maybe they trade up with those. Maybe they trade those for a player. Maybe they include those with a player to move on from that player. There's a million different things that he could do with those other two picks, but I can tell you right now he's already answered those questions. We don't know. Free agency. Is he going to go the free agent route or trade for a top nine forward? He doesn't know right now. Because why? Because the Calgary Flames just fired their general manager. Let's find out who their next GM is and what their plan is before you can do something like that. He also said they're not going to be significant players in free agency this offseason. So don't expect them to go out and send somebody for $10 million a year. And he also put the caveat with that in free agency saying we're not bringing somebody in unless they're 26 to 27 years old with two to three years of term on top of it. So that narrows down the list to a lot of guys for you. and last one here uh, was how long is the rebuild going to be? Uh, he said he hopes it's less than two years. So uh, hopefully next year they're back into the postseason. Now, that being said, I did think there was a lot of interesting stuff there from Doug Armstrong, specifically on culture and leadership and the importance of both of those things as we move along here in St. Louis. I want to react to some of what he said and one of his quotes reminded me of something that Ollie Marmel said about the Cardinals at winter warm-up. We'll talk about that, how the Cardinals' leadership situation right now 
plays into what the Blues are about to enter. We'll talk about it all coming up next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I, I genuinely think what we just had with Doug Armstrong was a revealing conversation. What he was talking about when it came to leadership and culture within an organization, and especially how it pertains to today's player, which is not the same as it was 20, 25 years ago. I, I highly recommend if you missed any of that conversation, go check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. Alex, when I thought about what he said about the leadership and how he talked about, hey, this is an organizational thing. When I leave, talking about Doug Armstrong, we shouldn't lose the culture that has been implemented. Otherwise, that means I haven't done my job. Uh, When certain guys leave that locker room, it shouldn't mean that the culture goes to hell in a handbasket just because one guy has been removed from the equation. Culture should sustain. Now, individual players can be leaders. That's where he went into the, when a young guy comes up, is he staying at a hotel or is he staying at somebody's house? When he's struggling, going through some stuff, is he getting a cup of coffee with a guy in the morning? Are you taking him out to lunch, taking him out to dinner, talking with him, making sure his head's in the right place? Like Those are things that I know for a fact Alex Dean was doing, Petro was doing, Shin does that stuff. I think Robert Thomas has kind of come into his own with some of those things, especially like he plans, we've heard him talk about this on the morning show, he plans the dinners when they go out of town. Those kinds of things are important. But when I thought about what he was saying there, it brought me back to a comment that Ollie Marmel made at winter warm-up. He was asked about the leadership of the Cardinals going into this season and whether or not he's concerned about it because Yachty and Albert are no longer in that locker room. And he said, I'm not worried about it even a little bit because those guys... If they were half the leaders that I think they were, that stuff's going to be in there still. The stuff that they taught those guys, it's going to trickle down. And Alex, I was reading a story the other day about Juan Yepes, who got his pregame routine from Albert Pujols. Juan Yepes taught his pregame routine to Jordan Walker. That stuff stays within your organization. It gets passed down for years. It reminds me of like Daryl Kyle and his pregame stuff and the way that he prepared for games that got passed down. And then Chris Carpenter passed it down. And then Adam Wainwright's now passing it down and it continues to go through the Cardinals organization. That is how this works. And the same thing is true for the blues. So the hope, the belief for army for the blues is that this culture, this is a one-off. It got sideways this year for a million different reasons. And their hope is that it gets back on track this upcoming season. But I did find that to be interesting that he had, 
such clear and concise thoughts on what it means to be a leader in today's game. Yeah, I mean, you go back to that uh, eight-game losing streak at the beginning of the season, and Berube, who spoke on Saturday, basically said, like, that eight-game losing streak, we lost our culture, we lost... I mean, Justin Falk was very blunt and said they lost their professionalism. And then when Craig Berube said also, because they asked him, you know, when the season felt like it was turning the wrong direction, he said it was the first game of that seven-game losing streak. It was that loss, that shutout loss to the Winnipeg Jets, And he said, then we had a seven-game winning streak. And he said, I never felt like in that seven-game winning streak, we deserved to win any of those games. So, like, you could tell the trend. And I know I go back to this. We had the great conversation on Friday about it. 2018-2019, I was in that locker room every game, every day, practices, pregame, postgame. And I'll never forget when they were bad the locker room was still upbeat. Like you still had guys that were joking around guys like Pat Maroon and Joel Edmondson. Like they kept it light and I have not been in there as much this season as I typically am. But the times I have been in there you could just tell it was a different feel. And the fact that the coach was saying it, the general manager was saying it like you could tell there was a difference this season. And that's why I followed up and asked him like, is this something that you go out there and like people will say, oh, well, you just go trade for a guy. No, you can't do that because that player is coming into the organization trying to figure out what the culture is. I mean, look at what Justin Falk went through when he was acquired the year after the Stanley Cup. It took him up to like last season to be a vocal player on the team. So this is probably not probably this is the biggest task of the offseason by Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube is to figure out what went wrong this season, why that snowball kept building, and how they stop it. And that's culture. And I was I was under the belief that Braden Shen would be the captain. After hearing them talk Saturday and today, I don't think there's going to be a captain next season. Is that a problem? No. I, I It can be a problem if you don't have the right people. And I believe they have the right people. Part of the issue with the culture this season, I believe, is you had guys who were in charge like Petrangelo and Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron and the Steens and the Shens. So it would just always go to those guys. When things would be bad, it would be, well, he'll answer for it. How many times this season before Ryan O'Reilly was traded in losses did we hear from him? Hell, think about after it when you had to have Torpchenko giving the yeah. answers after that game where he was like, hey, this isn't a beer league soft or a beer league hockey It's a dude game. who played half of, one and a half seasons in the NHL. Ryan O'Reilly was to the point where he just went out there and they were just like, well, O'Reilly's got it. That's not what it used to be. And without a captain, everybody is held responsible for that. It's now Falk. It's Pareko. It's Krug if he's still here. Letty if he's still here. Saad, Buchnevich, Shen, Thomas, Kairou. This is your team is what they're saying. And if you don't believe that this is a trend, there's seven other teams in the NHL, eight other teams in the NHL, I should say, including the Blues, that don't have captains. And two of them are in the playoffs right now in the Seattle Kraken and the Winnipeg Jets. It Being a leader is... I, I think it was Army. No, it was it was it was Craig Burby yeah. who said this over the weekend. Said being a leader for me is about more than just going out and saying all of the right things. Mm-hmm. It's about doing the right things every single day. And I've always said this about jobs, right? It, being somebody that hires has to be the most thankless job in the world because it's damn near impossible to get a good read on somebody just by going through an interview. Right. Everybody can say the right things in a one hour interview, man. Doing the job is about what you do every single day. It's about showing up to work, being prepared, and going out there and doing whatever it is that is your job. 
That's leadership too, honestly. It's about going out there and doing the things that we saw from David Perron, doing the things that we saw from Ryan O'Reilly, which is showing up early, doing the things that are necessary to make sure your skill works on track, then going out there, going through in a competitive way through the entirety of practice, which was called out as well by the gen- or by uh, Doug Armstrong over the weekend. The practice is not being competitive enough this season. And then afterwards, getting in the rest of your work, showing the other young guys that are coming up, hey, we don't leave whenever we're done. We go out there and get the rest of the work done. And then getting into the training room, doing all training room, go doing all the rehab that is necessary after practice. And then going out with the young guy that needs to talk to you because he hasn't been playing the last four games and getting a cup of coffee with him saying, hey, been there. It's going to be all right. He's going to get you back into the game. And when he does, take advantage of that opportunity. You go out there and play the way that he wants you to. You're going to get more opportunities as a result of that. And if you do go back down to the AHL, here's what I did. Here were the things that I went through and experienced. That's leadership, man. We can't see that from the outside looking in very easily. It's hard. But that's the kind of thing that they're looking for right now. And that doesn't just come by putting a C on somebody's chest. That that comes by being the same dude every single day. I think Braden Shin has a lot of those qualities. I think we've heard specific stories about Braden Shin having a lot of those qualities. But he's not going to change if he gets a C on his chest versus if he's got an A on his chest. Still. Right. So if they go into next season without a C, I, I think that's fine. Yeah, I do too. In fact, I think that might be a good thing. And then eventually, if somebody takes hold of that position and is like a very clear, this is the guy that is the Pied Piper and everybody's following them, then put a C on his chest. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with they that. did this with Keith Kachuk was like the the unnamed captain his entire career in St. Louis. But guys like Chris Pronger and Al McKennis all wore it. And then when Chris Pronger was gone and all that was left with Keith Kachuk, Kachuk didn't get the C. Eric Brewer got the C. But Keith Kachuk was still a leader along with Barrett Jackman sure. in that locker room. I believe this could be the best thing for them so that you don't have to feel like, oh, well, I'm the rookie compared to them being the leadership. No, we're all leaders now because the only way we're going to dig ourselves out of this mess and get back to the playoffs next year is if all of us hold each other accountable. And that's how you get that culture back into a locker room. If you missed any of our conversation with the Blues president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong, highly recommend going back and listening to that on the podcast page. It'll be posted after the show today. 101ESPN.com in the free 101ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, man, I'm done. I'm I'm done with this experiment that the Cardinals are trying to get right. We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Uh, let's start with this from the 314. Guys, what did you learn about City SC over the weekend after they got that massive win 
against the number one team in the East. T-Bone, I know you had some big time thoughts on this. Uh, and you wanted to pee in everybody's Cheerios on a Monday morning. Oh, where'd it yeah, go? I, I'll be honest. I don't know if I really had any big takeaways from that game because Cincinnati FC was without probably three of their best players who are out on international duty. But with that being said, that's a very good bounce back win for City SC because that's a game that you should take care of business. And not only did they take care of business, but they did it convincingly too. So I think that was the most encouraging part about it was they should win that game. And they did so by scoring five goals. And honestly, they looked really good on the attack too. They It, it felt more like, city style of play and that was the thing for me i thought the last two games they had kind of gotten away from that high press that was causing all that chaos early in the year they got back to it i think that was the most encouraging sign to see they are first in goal scored they are first in points and they are first in the mls right now in goal differential this is real like it is now time to give them their flowers like it's probably past time but after the last couple of weeks they things got a little sideways it's officially time to start taking this team seriously. Um, I, I City is good. How good, what the ceiling of this season can be, how far they can go. Like, There's time to be able to figure that out. And as we've already learned, whether it's from City or from Cincinnati this weekend, like injuries are going to be a factor. Uh, guys going out and playing for their uh, country, that, that's going to be a factor. The depth of this team, though, I thought was a story on Saturday. For you to be able to get five goals from five different players is meaningful. For them to be able to play the style that they have is meaningful because you can put other guys in there. And as long as you've got Klaus and Gio, you're going to be able to potentially put up some big time numbers. So this is this is real. And what we're watching right now is fun as hell, man. For them to be able to be this team in year one is nothing short of remarkable. I, I, I felt bad for a friend of the show, Nico, because he got beat up on Saturday. He was getting <laughs> rocked across the whole field all game long. He's a good player, though. I do like him. He's good. I think you're I think you're at the point now where you know where the strengths and the weaknesses are. The offense is your strength, and defense and limiting the opportunities in your own zone is probably their weakness. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 980. Guys, this Dylan Carlson saga is intriguing to me. Just last year, the front office not only assured him, uh, but the fan base as well, that he was going to be a key part of the future. So my question is this. Did they actually believe in him or... Was that just a hoax because they didn't want to pay what it would have taken to get uh, Juan Soto to come to St. Louis? Guys, I it wasn't. Doing- I don't know how many times we have to yeah. say this, but wherever it became a thing that Dylan Carlson was the, the player that was hanging up a trade for the Cardinals to be able to go out and get Juan Soto, it's nonsense. Did you guys want to trade Jordan Walker? Because he was going to be included. How about Nolan Gorman? What about Mason Wynn? What about Gordon Graceffo? Like, these are the things that would have been required in order to make that deal. And if your answer to that is yes, it would have been like good enough for me to go get Juan Soto. Cool. That's fine. I, there's a case to be made for a guy that good that whatever the price is, it's worth it because he's a superstar. That's fine. But Dylan Carlson was not the piece, quote unquote, that was holding you back from making that deal. As for what he is for the Cardinals right now, man, I don't know. He is struggling against right-handed pitching once again this season. And there were signs in spring training that maybe that was getting corrected. He was hitting the ball a little harder early on in the season. He's a good defensive player. The team is better with him in the outfield, but you can't put him out there against right-handed pitching right now because you got better options than him. Right now, he is a guy that you can play against left-handed pitchers and you feel great about it can't play him against righties until something changes and that's what makes this thing really hard I, 
I agree with that. I, I think right now he's just stuck to being a guy that comes is starting against lefties, and he's like a fourth-slash-fifth outfielder against right-handed pitching. Maybe he becomes a guy that comes into games late as a defensive substitution uh, for like uh, Alec Burleson sure. or Jordan Walker, depending on how they want to do it. Uh, but to the first portion of that question, was the front office oversell? Did they really believe in what they said last year? I think they did. I, I think they looked at that early I think they looked at the wrist injury as why he had a bad year last year against right-handed pitching. And I think they thought that he would bounce back this season. Problem is, is one, he's not hitting right-handed pitching. And two, he's not being able to get the reps to try and make those improvements because of all the other options that they have in the outfield. I think they got a ton of dudes right now who are trying to figure out what their role is. And it's not helping Dylan Carlson that he's not getting reps. But on the flip side of that, it's a double-edged sword. You're not getting reps because there's a ton of dudes, but you're also not getting reps because you're not performing when you get your opportunities. Somebody on the text line said he's not getting enough opportunities. This is a very small sample size, and you don't want to make a judgment based on 23 plate appearances for anybody. But in 23 plate appearances, he's four for 23 with five strikeouts and a walk. It's a 182 batting average and a 445 OPS. Yeah. If there was no track record here that said that is kind of who he's been against righties, then cool, no problem. We'll we'll keep it going and we'll just assume that eventually that's going to get corrected. That's what we're doing with Wilson Contreras. That's what we would be doing if it was Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado that was struggling that way. That's not the case for him. When he gets his opportunities, he's got to take advantage of them. And so far this year, he has not done that. Coming up next... This Jordan Hicks experiment needs to come to an end one way or another for the Cardinals. It's either got to be some give from Jordan Hicks or it's got to be the Cardinals admitting defeat. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Same pitches in a row. Good veteran hitter. You got to throw good pitches, and you can't just roll off-speed pitches up there three and four times in a row to a guy like that. He's going to kill it. You can't let somebody see the same pitch that many times. Swinging a fly ball, deep left field. Carlson back, and there it goes. Andrew McCutcheon on Jackie Robinson Day hits a go-ahead home run in the tenth. Get him into a better spot. Uh, obviously, he's uh, not commanding. His pitch is the way he needs to, and when he's in the zone, it's getting hit at the moment. So um, there's a couple things and conversations taking place in order to get him right, but it's uh, it's definitely a high priority. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest and the Pirates TV Network. Alex, it's over for Jordan Hicks. Oh, I thought you in meant the season. In one way or another, it's over. His fastball velo is still there, but he does nothing else well right now. Nothing. He's walking everybody. He has no command of his fastball whatsoever. And everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. We mentioned this last week. This is not a small sample size any longer for Jordan Hicks. Over the last three seasons since he came back from injury, is this is basically dating back to the end of 2019 because he didn't play in 2020 because of the pandemic. He has thrown 77 innings, and in those 77 innings, he has a 5.5 ERA. That is 30% below league average. This is not just a guy that you don't want in high leverage situations. This is a guy you don't trust right now in any situation. And when you have the bullpen that the Cardinals do, when you have the rotation that the Cardinals have, 
You can't have a guy like this as a part of your bullpen because they need to be able to trust all eight of those bullpen arms to be able to come in in any scenario. Right now, you don't do that. Here's what Ben Fredrickson wrote about Jordan Hicks over the weekend. I agree with all of it. Embattled right-handed reliever Jordan Hicks needs to agree to a minor league rehab retooling to work out the kinks in his pitches and his usage of them. Their placement is all off in everything else that has gone awry with his game. If Hicks is not interested in ironing out his pitching problems in the minors, then the Cardinals need to designate him for assignment so they can attempt to trade him to a team that is better positioned to let him work through these issues on the fly in games that count. My question to that is why would he not want to do that? You know you're pitching poorly right now. You know you can't pitch against Major League competition right now. Because he has the right. Like, he has earned at this point in his career, as a guy that has been up as long as he has, the right to refuse that opportunity. And that's that's justified, man. Like, why would I not want to go back to doing nights? Why would I not want to go back to producing? Let me tell you, don't do nights, man. (laughs) Exactly. Not fun. Jordan Hicks, if he was in this conversation, would probably be telling you, let me tell you, don't want to go back to Memphis, man. Those brunch rides are not fun. Okay, The the ham and cheese sandwiches that are your after-game meals, not fun. Okay, but if if my alternative is, well, you're just going to sit in the bullpen for a few days because we got to figure out, like, we're we're not going to use you. Sounds good to me. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. This I'm not is the getting... same thing that happened. Remember when the Cardinals signed Greg Holland and they wanted to send him down early in the season oh, yeah, to be able to wouldn't... get work? And yeah. he said, no, I'm not doing that. I said, okay, cool. We'll work, th- we'll work through some, some stuff in the start of the season. And it was a horrible, horrible experiment. It did not work. And then he ended up having to get traded as a result of that. The same thing's happening right now with Jordan Hicks. Now, I don't know where his head's at on this. It is unfair for us to say that he's going to refuse this because we don't know. We don't know what's happening with Jordan Hicks and if he's going to stay up here, go down, what the plan is. But right now, what's happening is not working. And he has no command of his stuff. He doesn't trust his fastball. And he threw seven straight sliders to a veteran like Andrew McCutcheon, and it lost them the baseball game because they had nobody else that they could go to other than Hennessy Cabrera in that spot. That's not Jordan Hicks' fault necessarily, but he is a byproduct of what was a bad week of starting pitching and a trickle-down effect where he was the last guy that was available in the bullpen. They have got to get this figured out. I think it's simple. If he's not willing to do the minor league assignment, then you've got to move on. Just like Ben Fred said, because there's a couple of things that happen. One, you're you're hurting your, your own team right now because anytime you know that you're going to have to go to Jordan Hicks, especially when guys aren't used uh, or they've got the day off because you're already overusing your bullpen in the early portion of the season, you're putting your team in a bad spot, whether you're up or down by a couple of runs, you're within striking distance, Jordan Hicks comes in, game over. The other problem with this is now you're limiting your bullpen if you can't use a guy. So if we're saying, well, we're going to wait, I heard Chip Carey saying on the broadcast yesterday, the Cardinals are hoping that they could give him a few days off to get right. Well, now you're screwing up your bullpen because your, your rotation's not being able to give you length in games and you're having to go to your bullpen early. Now you're going to be overusing these guys I think it's pretty simple. And somebody texted in and said, maybe it's a mental thing because Jordan Hicks is upset that he can't start. Give him an opportunity to start. No, no. If you've got a, if you've got an issue with how you're being utilized, then we'll find a different spot for you. And I'll bring somebody else up. I heard Tebow mention earlier, Jojo Romero's pitching. Well, I know he's a lefty. I'll find somebody else in the minors that can come up and do the job that you're not willing to do. If that's his mindset. Yeah. There's just, you have an option that's better than what Jordan Hicks has been this year. I don't even know who the name is. Jake like, Walsh. Sure. 
there's 12 of them in the minors right now that could come up and be better than what Jordan Hicks has been for you so far this year. He's been one of the worst relievers in baseball, and he needs to acknowledge that. And I'm sure he has. He knows he's he's stunk so far this year. Like everybody that has watched, everybody that was at Bush Stadium this weekend or watching on television could see this dude has no belief in what he's throwing right now. None. He didn't trust what was happening. And so why would anybody else? Ollie Marmol said this to the media over the weekend. This is not a development league. You can't script it the way that you can in a minor league setting. But we're also well aware where we're at with Jordan and an ability to do that. You got to figure out a way to get him in a right situation, which is not the easiest thing to do. But that's the task that we've been handed. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the task that they're handed. They should be able to either... Go to him and say, hey, we need to DFA. We need to send you down. Will you accept that? And him say yes or trade him. Because right now, the Cardinals need that spot on the roster. If he had five years of control left, I would be talking about this very differently. He doesn't. This is a guy that is closing in on getting to free agency. There's not enough. The juice is not worth the squeeze at this point in his career. Because the upside is not high enough to to continue to warrant putting him in games that are potentially winnable and him going out there and losing them for you. Somebody texted in and said, quit using analytics so much. Uh, there's no analytics. It's walks hey man, have and I said hits. a single number in it, this in this segment? None. It is, if he had, than, they would have been good. It is walks, hits, and ERA. I don't know what less you need in terms of analytics. Here you go. They hit the ball really hard against him. It goes far, and they score runs. And if they don't... <laughs> Those are my analytics on whether or not Jordan Hicks has been good. And He's if, been bad. And if they don't hit it hard or it goes far, he doesn't. they don't swing the bat when he throws the ball. Yeah, because they, they a lot of watch walks. it and walk to first base. He doesn't even get swings and misses. That's no. the worst part. A guy that throws 103, you're like, hey... He's Ryan Helsley, right? No, no. He doesn't get swings and misses, so he doesn't strike anybody out. He walks everybody. They hit the ball really hard. It goes really far. He's given up home runs. He's got a five-something ERA in three years now. The difference it's, between he and John Gant is John Gant found ways to get out of those innings. For a while. For, yeah, for until, a while. Until it all blew up in his face, and then it was like, oh, well, guess it's over. They've got to figure this out, and I think there's only two options left, neither of which includes him pitching for the Cardinals in the big leagues in the foreseeable future. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service sex line for in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario brought to you by train heating and cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service X line for Crushed in it. or out. Let's start with this, Alex. In or out, Nolan Gorman's going to make an all-star game this year. I've been saying this since the start of spring training that Nolan Gorman has an all-star capability this year for him. Yeah. And I'm going to stand by it. I'm going to say even good English. I'm get- it was my favorite Ferrario 5 that we did in the offseason. Honestly, and I had it at number two of the Ferrario yep. 5. It wasn't even number one. So that just tells you how great the Ferrario 5s were. But Text uh, line. I'm in on this. Only reason. Well, I'm definitely At least I'm not like Tanner who wanted to trade the one, guy. One, I never wanted to trade him for that Sean Murphy, that guy. Uh, but two, this guy's just trying to take my, take my uh, success and run away with it. It's just not cool, man. 
text line gets it they know what's up the t-bone three predicted this early on in the year now look let's not look into the steven math prediction because that one's going to be way <laughs> off base it looks like I, oh. I thought he, all things considered, was okay. Well, he ain't touching 180 innings and setting was, a career um, high in wins. What about your, uh, your 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 bullpen arm that you said would be a great piece of the bullpen? What was his name? This kid from St. Louis? Lotus? Lutus? He'll be here. How's he doing? He's triple A. I think he's got like a 7 ERA. It's fine. I'm in on this. Nolan Gorman has been bleeping awesome so far this year. And if not for him... I don't even want to know what the runners in scoring position numbers would be because it feels like every time he comes up to the plate with a runner in scoring position, he mashes the baseball. He's been coming through, oh, especially over the last week, consistently, boys. And this is the kind of thing that you don't typically expect out of a player that strikes out and swings and misses as much as Nolan Gorman does. By the way, those things still are there for him this year. But the change... Guys, he is being much more selective at the plate. He's not chasing out of the zone nearly as much. He is waiting for them to enter the strike zone, and then he is pounding the ball when he connects. So it, this has been so impressive for, for us to be able to see. This is the development of a young player that the Cardinals were hoping to see this year. It's happened with him. It's the development, honestly, that they were hoping to see from Dylan Carlson over the last couple of seasons, and it just... It hasn't happened for Carlson the way that it has so far for Nolan Gorman. I I have been so impressed by him. I do think that he is going to be at least in consideration this year for a National League All-Star nod. Uh, Boys, in or out, the Blues will make a trade with a team that gets bounced in the first round of the playoffs this year. Ooh. So Boston, who would we want from them? (laughs) Do you see Boston? They don't have Bergeron or Olmark tonight. What, What happened? Apparently they got they went so out, Bergeron. Got the flu. Ber, yeah, apparently Olmark's got the flu, and Bergeron really? must have been hit the last couple of days. Yeah, Montgomery said this morning that like worst timing ever to have a bug in our locker room. I knew they'd be bounced in the first round. Oh, I didn't see it coming because of this. They'll but. probably beat Florida without either of those two nah, players. I smell a sweep coming in favor of Florida. God, so we'll give take, me your money. We'll take pasta. So I'm in on this. I think the Blues will trade for somebody. I, I do think there'll be. I don't know. if Actually, I'm going to go out. I don't know if they'll trade for somebody from one of these teams because if they would, I think it wouldn't be a – it would be more of a smaller piece. And I think if Army wants to do it, he hinted at over the weekend acquiring uh, – fa- what was it? Foundation players? I can't remember the terminology. He yeah, used he exactly. said a 26 core, to 27-year-old player. That's what it was. And he said it has two to three years of term on their contract. Yeah, I, I don't know if they'll find somebody that gets bounced in the playoffs, so I think I'm going to go out on this. I'm out on this because we know who they're dealing with. Calgary? Yeah. Well, no, I, I don't know. Maybe now Don Maloney, who's taken over, is going to be like, man, screw you guys. I'm not going to give you what you want. Totally Maybe your opportunity boss. was Brad Trey living. You probably should have stole from Matthew Kachuk when the guy was bad at his job. By the way, I don't know what the Blues were offering. I don't think it was enough. It was Vladimir Tarasenko and Tori Krug yeah. from what everyone was reporting. So that's not going to get it done. Scandella with one hip. <laughs> if the Blues had offered Jordan Cairo, apparently they didn't. That was better than what they ended up getting back. I said this at the time. I believe it to be true today. I think that what the Flames did was nearsighted. I I think they tried to get themselves back into competitive spirits this year. They're like, ah, we'll go get Nazem Kadri. We'll go trade for uh, Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger, and all of our problems are solved. No, man. No. You're locking yourselves in. 
to long-term deals with older players for a team that is not ready to compete for a championship right now. They made a real mistake, and guess what? It resulted in the guy getting fired. I understand why he made the move. He was trying to save his own ass. He was trying to save his job, and it made sense to a lot of people at the time. That was not a smart move by the for the Calgary Flames, and now they're stuck. So yeah. if the Blues are going to make a move, I do think that <clears throat> Mackenzie Weger come on down. That's my guy. I've been in on, on all the, this whole time, so I'm saying out. I would tell you I'm in, and there are three teams I would be paying very close attention to in the first round of the playoffs. The New York Rangers, they get bounced. They've got Kane and Tarasenko. No, not Chris Heitkreider. Don't get too excited. They got Kane and Tarasenko that they're going to probably want to try and keep one of them, Adam and they've Fox. got two. No, even better. They've got two RFAs. Keandre Miller, who they're not going to let go, Ooh. but remember my guy Alexis <laughs> Lafreniere? Keep an eye on oh. him. And then the other two teams are the Vegas Golden Knights and the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm telling you, there's going to be a trade with one of those three teams. Yeah. But they got to get bounced, and let's just all fingers crossed. Would you rather have Alexi Lafreniere or uh, Mackenzie Weger for this Blues team? Obviously, we don't know what the packages would entail for either of them. Yeah, if I was just, if you're just telling me the player. money and money out. I would say Mackenzie Weger. Hell yeah, you would. All right, now I'm changing my mind. Alexis Lafreniere. Sure. T-Bone, what do you got for in or out? Uh, in or out, guys, Lars Newport will get the most at-bats in the two-hole this year for the St. Louis Cardinals. In. I think that starts tonight. I kind of agree with Burleson being out, but I, I think I'm in as well, just because, I mean, you saw the package over the weekend. I mean, this lineup was definitely missing him. What package? The Lars Newport package. Also, I missed that. What, what happened the, the in the game? The pepper grinder as well, with Did, Lars being back in the lineup on that whole run. It just it? felt right. Man, the should salt we, shaker was just I was going to say, should we read anything about how the salt shaker disappeared pretty quickly? Yeah, we should read in that it was a terrible just celebration. It's a, it's a strange looking celebration on second base. Lars Newbar has been back for three games. He has a home run, two hits, and eight walks. <laughs> Eight walks in three games. Yeah, that dude's hitting. Second. I'd hit him. I'd hit him leadoff because Brendan Donovan's terrible I'd these be fine days. With that, honestly, I just don't know who's in your two hole. Yeah, I mean maybe Gorman. I would put. I, I would give put, serious no. consideration to Newbar one, Gorman two. I would. I mean, those are your two best hitters right now. I would put them in front of Goldie and Arnetto. So at least one through six or one through five is dangerous, and I then would, figure out six through nine. I would also consider against right-handed pitching if this continues. Taylor, we're about a month away, but if this continues with Tommy Edmond. Oh, here we go. Oh, back to the year where Tommy Edmond should be a leadoff hitter. I like Tommy Edmond a lot. He is so good defensively, man. Even over the weekend, he made some good plays. Um, I would consider putting Brendan Donovan at shortstop. Occasionally, against right-handed pitching. What, do you want Taylor Motter at second base? Nope, Nolan Gorman. And then Burleson at DH. And then you've got one of the... I'm in for Motter at second base. Coming up next, Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She wrote over the weekend about the Cardinals' struggles with runners in scoring position. We'll ask her what to make of those. We'll ask her for an update on Adam Wainwright and where she thinks Lars Newtbar fits into this lineup moving forward. Who joins us next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now we are very happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend Cardinals insider for the athletic. She's Katie Wu joining us here on the show. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How are you doing this morning? 
Hello, guys. Uh, happy Monday and a happy Jack Flaherty Day to all to all who observe. I actually did have to make sure it was Monday today before I said that, but I think we're off to a good start. Man, Katie, you're only like two weeks into the season and you don't even know what day it is yet? I know. I actually, the other day, was going through my notes and I said, what day is it? April 30th? And someone Close. walked by and they were like, where, where, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. You also spilled, um, was it cheese on your score sheet over the weekend? Oh, my gosh, you guys, you have to understand my scorebook is like my, my holy grail, okay? This is very, writers and their attachment to their scorebooks cannot be like this. I know I'm, I'm dramatic for a lot of things, but that one was devastating. But shout out to the Bob Carpenter scorebook because it is resilient and we cleaned it all up and it is mostly good to go. Hey, let me tell you something, Katie. It's it's pre and post game host too because I got a scorebook and I get very irritated when I write the shots on goal during a period and then the NHL decides to change it. And once the book's ruined, I can't come back from it. The whole night is over. It, seriously, I'm like, oh, now I have to scratch all this out and I do everything in pen because, you know, I believe I'll never make a mistake of in course. my life. So it's just it's just a whole mess. But I'm glad you can relate to my scorebook pain. It's like Air Force One's Danelli. Oh, Once God. you scuff them, you mess up your whole night. Scorebooks Pretty and much. Bruce Springsteen is like the the mantra of baseball writers across the country. I expect <laughs> that from Tanner, but not you, sir. What, Bruce Springsteen? Yeah. He's, I, ask Katie. Katie knows. Every baseball know. writer that is a man across the country listens to Bruce on repeat. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's uh, unbelievable is a great word for it. I'm not here to judge anyone's music taste, but it's like a rite of passage that like you you like Bruce Springsteen oh, if you're a male and you write baseball. All right, Katie, let's talk about these Cardinals because uh, it's it's been it's been tough uh, getting guys home when they get on. Finally, yesterday it broke through in the team. Yeah. Tommy Edmond coming through to be able to win that one for him. Katie, you have a great piece on this over on the Athletic. Walk us through the Cardinals' issues with runners in scoring position. How bad has this been? How does it get fixed? Yeah, this is a great point because I think it's multifaceted and there's a lot of layers here. Uh, first, I'd like to point out the the sheer irony and the Cardinals struggling to score, especially with the bases loaded. They were 1-for-16 before Tommy Edmond singled in their winning run yesterday. And it wasn't like they were not hitting the ball hard. I mean, if you look at the batted ball profile for most of these balls that were put in play with the bases loaded, you're seeing everything you want to see. You're seeing the exit velocity. You're seeing the launch angle, et cetera. So it made me laugh that the Cardinals finally get one through on a ground ball up the middle through the Pirates' five-man infield. Uh, I think that's very uh, – I think it's very indicative to where, where the Cardinals are at right now. So let's go through Cardinals, not just with the bases loaded, but with runners in scoring position. We see the Cardinals and their offensive stats. We know where they rank. We know they can get on base. We know they can hit. We know they can hit a lot of singles because that's what they've been doing. And the counter-argument here is who cares – if they can't score. And I hear you. I, I think, you know, the nature of baseball, the point of the game is to score. But when I'm looking at the Cardinals and I'm looking at their approaches relative to with runners on base and empty bases, I see an approach that is almost identical. Again, we look at the batted ball profile, some of the metrics the Cardinals coaching staff are looking at, exit velocity, hard hit percentage, launch angle, the ability to spray the ball. Those all match up. Whether or not there are people on base or not, happens to be that when there are people on base lately, those balls are going straight to where people are positioned. So the best way for me to kind of calm the the nerves here is to point out a time in 2021 where the Cardinals offense was just dreadful. And Tommy Edmond actually was the one who went out and said on his Zoom call, I think we've kind of gotten away from our approach with runners on base, and that's why we're not scoring. I remember it was a huge, big thing, and guess what? About a week later, they started turning it around. 
I'm seeing the same approach from Cardinal hitters here, which I think makes it a little bit more frustrating from a fan perspective because uh, human nature is that something's not working. You fix it and you change it. But the Cardinals have been really steady trusting their approach and knowing that eventually these balls will fall, they'll find the gap. And I know it's early, I know it's frustrating, but that seems to be the mindset that they're taking here. Katie, do you feel like that the Cardinals should get to the point where they juggle up their lineup a little bit more in terms of moving guys to a little bit more significant of a spot. We were just talking about this during the commercial break. Maybe a Nolan Gorman batting at the top of your lineup, considering he's the guy that's finding ways to get the most RBIs. Lineup talk, baby. Here we go. Mid-April. Katie, yeah, be better we go. about it. Fire me up. Love to do this on a Monday. I actually just saw BK's tweet about the lineup you'd like to see if Burleson is out. Sounds like Burleson is okay, but we will see. And I, I like the idea of Gorman hitting in the two-hole, but He's been so successful, but hitting behind Goldie Arnado Contreras, and I'm sure we'll get to the why Contreras is hitting fifth segment eventually, <laughs> that you kind of don't want to take your most, I can say arguably consistent hitter, but definitely your most clutch hitter right now out of that five, six hole that he's been in because that's where the majority of the RBIs are going to come. New bar, I mean, this dude apparently is never going to not reach base safely again. We were actually joking yesterday that he's just going to walk every at-bat for the rest of his life, and then he hit a two-run homer. So I guess you can take both of those outcomes. I, I think with the Cardinals, I wouldn't change anything one through four. You can certainly make the argument you got to drop Contreras down for a little bit just, just so he can find his footing. But I like Gorman in the spot that he's in because, again, he is just so clutch. And when you have Goldie getting on base, you have Nolan getting on base, you want someone right behind them that's going to be able to drive them in. And I think Gorman is the guy you can count on the most right now. So, Katie, you mentioned the Wilson Contreras factor. I I, I typically am somebody that will give a, a little bit of leeway to a player as established as Wilson Contreras. So I didn't have an issue, honestly, with them continuing to put him out there batting fifth. And I still don't have an issue with it, especially after what we saw from him this weekend where the results started to follow some of the underlying numbers that we've seen. What Can you explain to us in any of the conversations that you've had with Ollie, what's been his stance on this? How, how is he viewing what we've seen so far from Wilson Contreras? I think we're going to have a very rare BK, Katie, Ollie trifecta, and none of us are really that concerned with uh, Contreras still in the five hole. And there's there's a plethora of reasons for this. One, obviously, Wilson Contreras is pressing a little bit to try to get going. And you see how the way his season started. Obviously, it's not ideal. He is he wants to win so badly in St. Louis. And you can see that he was kind of starting to press his way to try to get there. Things turn around this weekend for him. I'd expect him to remain in the five hole. But it's just consistency. Baseball is a long season, right? We're here for six months. They've played, what, 16 games? we got a lot to go. And the rationale, especially when a team is underperforming to start a season like St. Louis, is if something's not working after a couple days, change it. Uh, and that's not actually the rationale that will the Cardinals believe will yield the most success. So if Contreras has uh, the start of the season that he did, at that point I can also, I can understand maybe bumping him down, but the Cardinals like to give him the opportunity to, to cement himself and find his footing. What we can't do is if Wilson gets a couple hits to, uh, today and then struggles Tuesday, Wednesday, we can't just say, well, pull him out of the five hole because he's not successful there. So I like the, the stronger, the longer sample size that the Cardinals are giving Wilson, a guy who, again, obviously really wants to compete and really cares and wants to do well. Um, this is not a guy who is going to go out there and excuse his performance lately to start the season, you know, just like the rest of the guys on that team. But I think from the Cardinals coaching staff perspective and Ollie's perspective, there was no need to make such a, a, 
a rush decision and kind of force Wilson out and bump him down because when you think about it, they've only played a 16th of the season. There's plenty of games to go. So they opted to keep him there and trust that he'd find his footing, and it looks like he's starting to. As BK always says, Katie, it can only get better. It can't get any worse. And then, of course, it gets worse, and BK sits there and pretends that he didn't say that. Anyway, I digress here. Her. <laughs> uh, one player that I'm baffled by, and I'm sure you are as well, Katie, is Jordan Hicks. And okay. it's gotten to the mm-hmm. point now, BK is very frustrated with Jordan Hicks. It's gotten to the point where it does feel like they can't put him out there in games unless it's just a blowout one way or the other. No, they, you know, that's a really, I, I'm glad we're bringing up Jordan Hicks because it's a complex issue. And on paper, it doesn't look like it. On paper, you can just say, well, why don't they, don't they the Cardinals preach being competitive. The Cardinals also have a ton of uh, bullpen depth in AAA. So why is Hicks on this roster? And the argument, of course, is that he cannot high leverage situations. He's had plenty of opportunities and he either, one, is not, can't find his command to get in the strike zone. And then when he is in the strike zone, he's getting hit hard. So that would usually lead to, okay, let's option him down to AAA and figure out what's going on there. Of course, Jordan Hicks does not have any options because he started opening day with five years of service time. So then you say, okay, why didn't he just accept the assignment then? Well, if Jordan Hicks won, no MLB player is going to uh, like accept the assignment and go to the minors and willingly take less money, especially when they want to compete and believe in their stuff. I don't credit Jordan for not accepting the assignment if the Cardinals even offered that to him. But there's another layer to this where Jordan, if he does, let's say in a hypothetical situation or any player that starts the year with exactly five years of service time, if he goes down the options and he's there for more than 20 days, all of a sudden, by the end of the year, he's no longer at that six years of MLB service time that he needs to become a free agent. So the Cardinals would essentially gain another year of control over Jordan. And as a player, you can't do that. Um, so I totally understand the the really tough position both the team and Jordan is in. So right now, Ollie was was uh, aware. He said, you know, we know where we're at with Jordan and what we can and can't do with him. So we have to find a way for him to compete in low leverage situations. He also said, this is not a developmental league, which we know this is the big leagues. You can't script performances like you would in the minor leagues. Again, that minor league AAA assignment is not an option for Hicks and the Cardinals. So it looks like. They're going to try to put him in and blow out games while they can, try to fix the command issue, figure out why he's getting hit so hard in the strike zone. But you always run the risk of what we saw on Saturday where there are just no arms available, and you have to put Hicks in in a tie game in the top of the 10th, Then you just kind of know after the seventh slider in a row that Andrew McCutcheon is going to hit it out of the ballpark. So that's the risk the Cardinals are taking right now, and that's what makes this Hicks move so so fascinating because they are running out of time to decide what to do with him and they kind of have to hope that they have the opportunities and have these blowout games for Jordan to fix himself because that's really the only opportunity he's going to get if he wants to remain a Cardinal. Katie can I make the case and we're talking to Katie Cardinals insider for The Athletic for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN for the last three years basically since his return from injury and of course that doesn't include 2020 where he opted out due to the pandemic is a 5.5 ERA over 77 innings that is not fake that's very real and even the underlying numbers suggest that that's kind of where he should have been that's 30 percent below league average at this point you know what Jordan Hicks is I like Jordan Hicks I hope that he gets this thing back on track but he's a free agent at the end of the season at some point, and maybe that's not right now, maybe the Cardinals say, maybe that's two, three, four, however many more outings. At some point, don't you have to say, hey, we've got better options to be in this spot in the minor leagues than what Jordan Hicks is giving us in the big leagues right now? 
Yes, I think that you eventually will have to come to that point if Jordan can't figure it out in this, what I believe will be the last leash, long leash they give him. Um, but it's, we talked all spring and early season about how effective and exciting the Cardinals' bullpen is and the options they have and how it was the most competitive aspect of their roster, and I still believe all of that to be true. But again, you go back to where the Cardinals are, they're, kind of aren't, they're, they're in a bind, and so is Jordan on what they're able to do with him. So he will get one more chance, but I think that argument is, that, you know, the Cardinals know what Jordan Hicks is, is fair, it's valid, but when you have a guy that can throw 103, it's really hard to give up on him. So there, and I, the argument, of course, and we can go back and forth on this, is sure. what's the point of throwing 103 if those balls get hit and he can't get anyone out? And I, I totally understand that, but I think from the Cardinals' perspective, they like Jordan, they want to give him one more shot. They, anytime you have a guy that can throw 103, though, other teams are going to be like, well, we can fix him. So there's also the argument that if they keep Jordan until, you know, middle May, early June, and it's still not working out, they could find a way to package him for a deal because 29 other teams, like I said, are going to be excited about a guy that can throw 103 and believe they can fix whatever issues the Cardinals are seeing with him. Katie, we'll get you out of here on this, and we appreciate the time as always. What do you expect the Cardinals to do with their rotation? I know that it sounds at least like Wayno's going to be going out on a rehab stint probably either tomorrow or Wednesday, sometime early this week. Uh, Jake Woodford is currently scheduled to start on Wednesday. Liberatore's been awesome down in the minors. There's been some chatter of a potential six-man rotation. How do you think all this uh, gets sorted out over the next week or so? That's a good question. I think it's fair, no disrespect to Jake Woodford, who has an admiral job filling in. I thought he had his best start last time out. Um, obviously a scoreless outing. That's not a bold proclamation by any means, huh. but it's, it's easy to think that, you know, when Adam comes back, Jake is the last, is, is out of the rotation because he was the last guy in. Um, we'll see. The Cardinals are in a little bit of a tough spot in May. They're, they don't have too many off days. They could use a six-man rotation, but I don't see guys like Wainwright, Michael, Clarity. I mean, they're all team-first guys, but are those guys that you really want on a six-man rotation? So, the the argument that you can make is when Adam comes in, Woodford goes back. You know he is so expendable because he can fit so many roles. Woodford can pitch in the bullpen. They don't have a long relief guy at the moment. That's actually not something that Ollie Marmol's too concerned with because when you look at how the Cardinals kind of use their relief, the long relief man doesn't really appear that often. And they do have Stratton that can go multiple innings, but it does create a bind. And it also goes back to what we said about Jordan Hicks. You know, can you really justify keeping Hicks or someone who has underperformed? when you have someone like Woodford who has stepped up and done a good job. So it'll be interesting. I don't think we'll see uh, Matthew Libertor just yet, but he certainly is someone to uh, keep your eye on in Memphis. And for the first time in a while, I do think the Cardinals, again, have substantial starting pitching depth. And I know the rotation is going to be a, a sore spot and a talking spot for the next couple of months, but I was actually pretty encouraged by what I saw from the rotation through their last turn. Now I think the next step is to start going deeper in games, but We'll see how the next turn goes through. I think that'll tell us a lot about, you know, when Adam comes back, if it's one or two rehab assignments, who's in and who's out. It is funny. Over the last, like, five, six games, I- I've been more frustrated with the offense than the pitching. Uh, the-, the pitching right. I have lower standards for, so that plays into this, of course. But the, the offense has been what's been frustrating for the Cardinals now. That's why you're more of a pessimistic guy and we're more <laughs> yeah. optimistic. Katie, we appreciate the time, as always. We always look forward to catching up with you on a Monday after a big Cardinals weekend. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll be reading over at The Athletic, and we'll talk with you again next week. Thanks, guys. You got it. We will talk soon. Absolutely. Katie. Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. Genuinely appreciate her time. My guess, Alex, this is purely a guess, but especially after listening to Katie there, my guess would be Wayno's return is what signifies the decision point 
on Jordan Hicks. Because you're probably not sending down Hennessy's Cabrera because they like having that extra lefty in the pen. I, I would assume that is when you become a decision of do you put Jake Woodford in the in the bullpen? And if you do, you probably have to send out Jordan Hicks because he would be your worst performing right-handed reliever at that point in time. So that's probably when the decision really actually has to be made. So if that's the case, then Wayno, I would imagine that Seattle series is when he would get the start. How many times do we see Hicks before then? It depends on... Um, when you see him go down to his rehab stand, I think they said over the weekend Tuesday was what they were planning on, maybe Wednesday. Uh, so it could be like next week in San Francisco when you see Wayno. Maybe he ends up needing two. It, I would assume it's sometime within the next week to 10 days so you'll, you'll a, see Wayno. You'll get a couple more appearances out of Jordan Hicks. And just yep. like we said for Jake Woodford in this last start that he's probably pitching for his spot, Jordan Hicks, the next couple of opportunities you're going to see the mound you're pitching for your spot on the Major League roster. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer with my infuriating night. I am learning what parenthood is like already. And boy, howdy, there's one thing that I hate about it. We'll talk about it next oh, year on geez. 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Dive into the juncture with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Are you fully prepared to piss a lot of people off, including me? No, I think a lot of people are going to agree with me here. About having struggles at parenthood already? Yep. Okay. So. Go for it. Yesterday was our baby shower for baby Luca. He's due in July. My wife had uh, all the friends and family over yesterday for the baby shower. We are hugely grateful for all of the gifts that we received. It was a wonderful day. We felt a lot of love for baby Luca in our lives. Now, that being said, Alex. I guess my invitation was in the mail still for that baby shower. Uh, guys weren't invited. I wasn't even there for most of it. So, uh, yeah, did get lost. Um, Not going to have so, a guy shower? Uh, yeah, that's the diaper party. You guys will be invited. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, yeah, we're doing that in June, I think. Uh, I, I'll, I'll be out of town. Oh, my be free beer. full. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. Sorry, I'll, I'll make room. Um, so I got free beer. Yesterday, we got a bunch of gifts. And, Alex, you know how this goes, right? You get the big ones and... Immediately, you want to open it up and put it together, right? I know the baby's well, not due for another three months. I don't want to put it together. But the that's significant other wants to that's put it right. together. So, we got a pack and play. Great gift. Fantastic gift. We are hugely appreciative. And this is not specific to the pack and play. It was also true of a couple other things that we put together. Dude, the instructions are impossible absolutely impossible the illustrations are like the size of my pinky just the nail part let me guess no directions it's just the picture essentially yeah i tried for about 15 minutes to put together one specific piece of this pack and play it was the changing table part dude it was None of it made sense. It wasn't going in the right way. It wasn't working around it. Like, none of it made any sense. My wife looks down. She says, do you want me to help? So, you know what? At this point, I am so frustrated that, yes, my answer is I do want your help. Oh, wow. That's not the response that I would have done. If I was getting pissed off with it, my wife came by. Can I help? Like, no. 
I'm gonna do this! That's how I was for the first 15 minutes, and I got myself so worked up into a tizzy that at this point, I said, I need to take a second. I actually do want you to try to do this. So, in all honesty, it made me feel better that she failed. <laughs> I was happy that she also failed. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> it made me so happy in my heart. Yeah, I get that. That she messed it up even worse than I did. And so she's frustrated now. And I was already frustrated. So I said, nope, you know what? Now that I've seen you struggle to do this, I think I figured it out. And I did. So I didn't look at the instructions anymore. I said, to hell with these instructions. I'm doing this my way. It's like when Kara watches you try and open the pickle jar and she's like, oh, no, you you, you loosened it up for me yeah. to finish it. I, I don't understand why the illustrations have to be so horribly written and why the instructions have to have basically nothing in terms of guiding you through what it is that you need to do in order to put this stuff together. It doesn't have to be this hard. I promise it does not have to be this hard. Is there a way to get through this, Alex? YouTube. Without driving yourself insane? YouTube. That's okay. I, I've, I've had my daughter uh, vomit multiple times in her car seat and had to take all of the cushions off. And uh, I watched my wife try and put the cushions back on without YouTube. And... Well, she got to the point that BK was at where she was like literally throwing oh things. Oh my God. And then I said, all right. Then we looked on YouTube and we found it. But uh, it just gets worse from here, man. You think that's bad. Wait till all the toys start coming in. Wait till your first Christmas rolls around and you get your little tykes, little car for him. And your daughter's like, put it together, put it together, put it together. And then daddy's in the corner for the next three hours yelling at a Fisher Price little tykes <laughs> car because he can't figure out how to get the damn wheel on. That was just a, like a made-up scenario, yeah, right? That was just in theory when yeah, Luca gets a car. when that happens. All hypothetical <laughs> when, when Luca gets a car. All hypothetical. But I had that happen with the crib when we were putting the crib together because like you Do put... Do you ask your wife to help you out with these? No, she knows when she needs to step in. Okay. Like she knows when I get... But fear. there's moments. Oh, where yeah. she steps oh, in. Oh, yeah. I've gotten furious with a lot Have of different things. Have you had things. that moment where she then fails and you say, ah, oh, I'm so happy. No, because typically I'm, she doesn't fail. <laughs> typically she nails it. She's like, I got this. And that's the crib. So the crib, we put the crib together. And then like the mattress frame, you're supposed to put it on before you put like the crib pieces together. But the instructions say to put the crib together and then you can screw the, the, uh, the, the bed frame in. And I didn't realize that. And so I got ticked off and she like walked in and she's like, oh, well, you're supposed to take these apart and put this on. And she did it in five minutes. And I said, okay. I went to the basement and I didn't speak for the next two hours. From the 314. BK, why did you find out the baby's uh, sex before he's born? But more importantly, why did you name the baby before he's actually here? Didn't we do can, that? Can I can I be totally honest, guys? Wait, you're not supposed to Can I say to something that? real quick? I was going to say. Don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be that guy. 314, don't be that guy again. You can get away with it with me. I got no issues with it whatsoever. That's fine. What I have learned already in my quick experience of not being a father yet, but, you know, having one on the way, man, everybody got, has their idea of what you need to do as a parent. And none of us know what we're doing. It's all made up. None of the rules make sense. And there is no instruction guide for it. Just do your best, man. Just I, do what I, you can. I just don't understand. Like, I can understand. Some people prefer not to know the sex before. That's fine. Yeah, uh, hey, go if, into that. Also, if you want to do it that way, that's fine. But I've never met. I got some, no problem. But I've never met somebody who has said, uh, "Yeah, we haven't decided on a name. When we see the baby, we'll know." I mean, and, and maybe that's the way you do it. I again, 
no problems with it. That's fine. You go about it however you want to. What happens when the baby comes out? And you're like, ah, looks like a Gary. And then three days after you bring the baby home, we're like, you are not a you Gary. You know what's funny? My buddy actually texted me the other day. More of a they just had <laughs> More of a Tom. They just had their second, and they were between three different names, and they ended up being a preemie, so they didn't come to a like final decision before mm-hmm. he was officially born. And so they, they said, he texted me, he was like, hey, Luca was one of our final three names. We officially named him when he was born. They were like, ah, it's, it's that. I don't remember what specific name they went with, but um, they decided the moment that he was born what he was going to be. Yeah, born. I mean, my wife and I, so we, we wanted to know the sex of the baby both times, but we had a list of three names, both male and female. And then when we found out what the sex was, then we spent the next however many months figuring out which one we liked the most. Sure. Yeah. And again. Don't be you like you 314. That's fine. Just don't be like 314 where you're going to judge anybody for doing it their way. You do whatever you want to do. Try to be the best parent you can. That's all you can don't do. Don't be don't be 314. Coming up next, Lars Newbar showed us over the weekend what it is that he brings to the lineup. And I think it's officially time. I know it's quick. It's officially time to move him back up in the order. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's a go. Drive deep to right field. Smith and Jigba says goodbye. Pepper grinder time. Newt Bar with a lightning bolt ties this game. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It was a good weekend for Lars Newbar in his return to the lineup. Alex, he's had seven at-bats this this year. He has more walks than at-bats. Hold on. What? Think about that for a second. He has taken more walks than he has at-bats on the season. He has eight walks so far this year. He also added that home run, that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. John Mosaloc was asked over the weekend what it means to be able to get Lars Newbar back into this lineup. Here's what he had to say to Bally Sports Midwest. You know, when you're looking at your lineup right now, we're obviously looking to find that sort of depth that we saw early on in the season so we can put up some runs. But, you know, it's great to have him back first off. Glad he's healthy and uh, looking forward to what he can do. I think this is a big piece that they've been missing. Because when you looked at the top of the order, listen, Alec Burleson has been really good for them, especially against right-handed pitching, batting second for them. But when you look at the depth of the lineup, they've just had too many guys that aren't coming through in those clutch spots. With Lars Newpar, he first of all, does get it, get come through in those clutch opportunities. But also, he's going to be on for Goldie and Arenado more often than not because of his ability to take those walks. I am officially ready, whether it's batting leadoff, batting second, wherever you want to put him. I think he should be in one of those two spots going into this game tonight. If Burleson's there, I think Burleson should be batting second with Lars Newbar leading off. Burleson's not able to play tonight. I would probably put Newbar batting second against a right-handed pitcher. As much as I agree with Burleson hitting in the two-hole if he's there for you, Burleson's the one guy that's actually hitting the ball and getting on base, which I know you want up there. But I, I would actually view this as let's give Alec Burleson an opportunity to maybe hit behind Arenado or hit behind Contreras if you've got more guys on. I fully endorse the Lars Nupar situation of being either leading off or in the two-hole, and that's where I get to the Nolan Gorman. And I understand Katie Wu's point of like not moving him because he's having success, but my team is struggling with runners in scoring position. My team is struggling when the bases get loaded. And when those bases get loaded, you're looking at guys that are hitting beyond Wilson Contreras that are not getting those, those runners in. 
as, as much as I want to keep guys in spots that are having success, I think I also would like to tinker with my lineup a little bit. So if I've got a Lars Newbar and Nolan Gorman that are getting on base and have the ability to showcase power, you've got Goldschmidt, Arenado, if you want Contreras right there, and then let's keep this train moving and put Alec Burleson in that spot so he can get guys on base and hit. Yeah, I, I w- the part of holding Contreras in the five spot is really kind of hampering this lineup right now in terms of because I, I wouldn't mind putting Newbar in the two spot but if Burleson's healthy and he's in the lineup tonight I would just keep him at the two spot because he's been playing there playing well there and then I like Donovan up at the one I could understand if you wanted to put Newbar there but I, I think where I would want him would be in the five spot right now him him and Gorman five six would be what I would like to New see bar? the Cardinals do yeah because I, I, I would I, switch that actually I would I would say Burleson I, I kind of agree with Alex, I would have Burleson batting in that five or six spot. And Contre- because, I would move Contreras back. Because he's a guy that's a more free swinger. And Newbar is somebody that's going to take those walks. And I want that in front of Goldie and Arenado. Um, whereas with, with Newt, I think of him less as a run, a guy that drives in run and more as a guy that is going to produce runs by getting on, if that makes sense. So I think he profiles a little better towards the top of that order. I, I I just like the idea of Burleson at the two spot because he's been playing well right th- right now in that spot. So, but I, I understand if you wanted to do that, uh, I I would put it as I would probably do Newbar as the five hole or six hole hitter, and I'd have Gorman there too. I, I would go back to back lefties after Goldie and uh, Arenado. I I just think right now by keeping Contreras in the five spot, you really kind of restrict what you're able to do with this lineup, and you've got some of your best bats your hotter bats right now that are stuck at the bottom part of the order and not being able to come up with potentially the runners on base because it gets to Contreras and then he's an out and next thing you know the ending is over I do think Contreras has been better though I agree I mean, you look at what he did in this series uh his last four games he's got an OPS of about 800 now that that's not great but he's hitting the ball hard he is taking his walks now which is something that we weren't seeing early on in the year he seems to be seeing the ball better, and he seems more comfortable, honestly, at the plate. I would keep him in the five hole. He, he gave some quotes over the weekend about how comfortable he is batting in that spot in the order. I'm the last guy that is going to be, like, caping for, oh, he can only hit here or here. That's, you know, not the way that I, I view things. But with him being such an important piece to the puzzle this year, I will give him a little bit more leeway and the entire history of Wilson Contreras being in the big leagues, he has been able to produce at an extraordinarily high level. So I've got no problem batting him fifth for this foreseeable future. Now, if we get to the end of the month and the production hasn't changed, then I'm willing to start start talking about what you do there in that five hole. But if you want to put those guys like six, seven, that, that's probably where I'd be talking about it See, right now. For me right now, I don't disagree with, you know, I think Contreras will get back to being himself. But with that being said, I don't think that should hamper you from pulling him out of the five spot right now. Because I'm not saying, all right, we're never hitting him fifth again the rest of the season. No, I'm pulling him out for probably till the end of the month and see if he can get things figured out. And if he looks better, then he goes back into that five spot. But right now, as much as I think Contreras is going to be that guy in that five spot for a big chunk of the year, right now he's a hindrance on the lineup because they don't have the flexibility to be moving up their best bats to get more ABs in that five spot with runners on base. But a player like that with track record, I, I just I, I would let him figure it out because it's the same as Nolan Arenado. If Nolan Arenado's struggling, you're not going to say, well, let's pull him out of the four hole. You keep him in the four hole I, I to think figure it's it out. Early on here because the offense is scuffling, as we've talked about. And you're sitting at either last or second to last in a division in which we thought you were going to win. If this team was where the Milwaukee Brewers are, I'd have no issues with keeping Contreras in the five spot and continue to uh, have him work through his struggles. But because they are off to a 
tough start in our scuffling. And let's just be honest, this next stretch is not going to be easy against the Diamondbacks, who are a good team, not not a great team, but a good team. And then a tough road trip to Seattle, to L.A., and to San Francisco. I, I think you have to provide yourself more lineup flexibility. And if that means bumping Contreras out till the end of the month, till he starts hitting, I think that's what Ollie has to consider. I, I think it's a totally fair point. I think I'm willing to consider it once we get to the end of the month. I mean, I think that's the way that Ollie's going to look at it is just like, hey, we're still sitting right around 500 right now. If it starts to get a little more desperate, then he probably considers it even more urgently. Um, but I think he feels like this offense is about to b- break out. We'll see if that ends up being right. He could be completely wrong. We could all end up seeing this offense get uh, stymied by both Arizona and, and Seattle. That is in play for them. But I think I would run it back at least one more time for at least the next week or two. And if, if you don't see the results change, then then I think you, you make some more wholesale changes. Guys, th- this all brings up the bigger picture question, which is what do you do with this outfield at large? Because Lars Newbar is going to be playing every day especially against right-handed pitching. Jordan Walker right now is playing every day, especially against no matter the pitcher, honestly. And I don't think you can make a case to take Alec Burleson out of the lineup against right-handed pitching right now with how well he's performed as long as he's healthy enough to go. What does that mean for Dylan Carlson? What does that mean for Tyler O'Neill? What does that mean for these guys that the Cardinals have clearly invested in and believe can be significant pieces for them? Do you just run run those guys continuously out there and uh, frankly with Jordan Walker he, he's looked a little lost at the plate at times recently H- how do you see this playing out over the next couple of days there's two right-handed pitchers over the next two days yeah I mean I for right now I don't think you can remove Jordan Walker from the lineup because then you take a chance of and I know we've talked about his his mental ability to be able to handle things and remain sure. calm and cool but yeah he's struggling right now but I think the moment you start to doubt Jordan Hicks is the moment you start to lose a young player like that he so Walker just to clear that up who did I say Hicks well, okay yeah. sorry okay. I was looking at Jordan Hicks is trending on Twitter so I figured that's got to be all positive but yes Walker instead of Hicks um so Walker and Newt Barr are out there. And then, frankly, I mean, if it's a righty for two of those games, if Burleson's healthy, I think Burleson has to play because he's the only one hitting between those other two. And Newt Barr becomes your center fielder. Uh, maybe you get an opportunity of Burleson at a DH to see what Gorman can do at second base, or maybe he needs a day off. But um, you're at the point now where Tyler O'Neill is your fourth outfielder and Dylan Carlson is your fifth outfielder. So I don't know if you see those guys more than one game. I, I think I agree with you. I, I think right now Walker, Newport are locks and right and center. And then I think left field is just going to be, for the time being, Alec Burleson. But I think left field will rotate around between who's playing well and whoever is struggling will become the bat that sits on the bench. If you see Burleson go through a cold spell and then O'Neill comes in and plays well, I think O'Neill will run with left field for a while. Same with Dylan Carlson. But against right-handed pitching, I think that's how it's going to play out for now. Against lefties, I'll be curious to see if they want to keep Newtbar in the lineup. Even if they if they do, they can get away with it by putting O'Neill in left and then could DH Carlson. I think Wednesday is super easy the way that you do it because it's a day game after a night game. Newt is just coming off of the IL. He'll have an extended stretch there of playing basically five straight games. You take him out of the lineup that day and against that lefty with Madison Bumgarner being on the mound, Carlson in center, O'Neill in left, probably Walker in right. I think that's that would your, be my guess. Who's your right-handed DH then? Uh, I, I don't Motter. know. It's probably either Go- no. it's probably either Goldie or Arenado with Motter playing in the field that day would okay. be my guess. Because the only, the only reason I I did it was if you're not going to give say one of those main guys a day at DH, 
I think they would put Newton center. But I, I would get it if you want to give him a day off coming off the I.O. so early. Give that thumb a break or whatever finger it was that was jammed. But you might even put um, Jordan Walker at DH that day. Give him a day off of the field if could. he's going to continue playing that day. I, I could see them doing something yeah. like that. I, I mean, you might, you might too, have to treat this as a revolving door where for three games you see a different look at the outfield positioning moving forward. Uh, the rest of April might be audition for these guys to get extended stay in the outfield. I think that might be the rest of the year. Honestly, yeah. or at least going up to the trade deadline is, hey, let's find out what these guys are. We're going to give our best oper- options uh, the, the biggest runway, especially against right-handed pitching. We're going with those two lefties out there for now. See what it looks like. And there's going to be injuries. There's going to be guys that go through some some spells of not hitting as well as we would we would expect. And they'll get opportunities. There's enough playing time to be able to go around. It's just you don't expect to see a guy that got top three in the MVP voting in the National League two years ago basically becoming a bench bat. You don't expect to be a guy that two years ago was your top prospect in your system and Dylan Carlson becoming a bench bat against right-handed pitching. That's where we're at. Coming up next, NFL quick hitters, including the biggest contract in NFL history. We'll tell you who got it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including the biggest contract in the history of the NFL that was just signed earlier today. Jalen Hurts agreed to a five-year deal, Alex, worth $255 million. Whole buddy. Most notably, it includes $179 million guaranteed the moment that he signed the deal. Alex, first of all, well-deserved. By Jalen Hurts. He earned every penny of that. He saved his best performance for what ended up being a losing game for him. But man, he was awesome in the Super Bowl. Absolutely outstanding against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Eagles have become a legitimate contender with him at the helm. And he earned every penny of this contract. You look at some of the deals that have been signed, though. Man, it is big money that is being out or being handed out across the NFL right now with some of these quarterbacks. He's now making $51 million per year on an annual basis. You look at what you're getting from Aaron Rodgers, $49 million, 46 for Kyler, 46 for Deshaun, 45 for Patrick Mahomes. And there's still some big money quarterbacks that could be signed yet this offseason. Yeah. And this puts the massive spotlight now on Lamar Jackson, because I'm sure he watched this and said, what has he done compared to what have I done? And Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Yeah, and I, I mean, none of those guys have the MVP that Lamar Jackson yep. has, but I, I mean, only Joe Burrow can talk about being at a Super Bowl with Jalen Hurts now. So, I mean, everybody's got their own thing that they can talk about. The issue here is I don't see the Chargers going anywhere but paying Justin Herbert. I don't see the Bengals going anywhere but paying Joe Burrow. And then that leaves the Baltimore Ravens. But you're right. Jalen Hurts deserves this for how he performed this season. He deserves to be the franchise quarterback for them moving forward. My other thought with this now is look at all the guys that are paid less than Jalen Hurts. Which one of them steps up and says, I want more money? Probably that Patrick Mahomes guy in Kansas City. Or Kyler Murray. Josh Allen. Oh, yeah. Does Josh Allen step up and ask for more money? I don't think any of these guys do. This is the way that it works, and we all know. Patrick Mahomes definitely does because he's with the Kansas City Chiefs. Just because you make the most doesn't mean you're the best. Like The way that this typically works, and it's why I remember when Jamie and I were doing the show, Alex, you were with us, 
Jamie would always give me crap and he'd be like, how are they going to put a team around Patrick Mahomes? And I told him at the time, give it three years. Give it three years and that's going to be looked at as one of the best bargain bin deals in the NFL. By the end of this offseason, it is entirely possible that Patrick Mahomes has the eighth or ninth biggest AAV among NFL quarterbacks. Eighth or ninth. Because Lamar could get up there. We'll see what happens with him. You could end up seeing both Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert Justin Herbert get big money extensions as well. And you go into next offseason, he could have even more. That would put him at... Yeah, the, the ninth biggest cap hit, ninth biggest AAV in the NFL among these quarterbacks. It's it's a lot of money, $45 million per year, but relative to what the rest of the league is making, it's a pretty good bargain. Baltimore's probably like, son of a... Yeah. Who do you think gets the first contract out of Burrow, Herbert, and Lamar? Burrow. That's what I think, too. I would say Burrow, then Lamar, then Herbert. I would go Burrow, Herbert, Lamar. Yeah, I, think I think a think team steps up that's not Baltimore and gives them money this offseason. Uh I was going to say, I just find it skeptical of the other team stepping in. I guess that's why I would jump in on Herbert being the next one after Joe. Speaking of quarterbacks, Bryce Young. Guys, the the buzz couldn't be any bigger now that he's going to be the number one pick. I think it's a foregone conclusion. Let's go. I'm surprised by it. I disagree with it. But Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, according to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, has canceled his remaining pre-draft visits. He says that this is another sign that there is belief around the league that he will be the number one overall pick for the Carolina Panthers. You don't cancel your visits unless you know you're going number one. That's the only reason why you would do this if you're Bryce Young. Or number two. So, I've got something for you on that. <laughs> Houston. Somebody tweeted to Lance Zierlein, who covers the Texans down in Houston. Lance said on his radio show last week that he believes the Texans will ultimately take a quarterback at number two. I'm sure he's tired of hearing about this, but maybe he can jump in and give his opinion. Lance then tweeted back. Not anymore. They are trying to get out of that pick. He then added, I don't think that what the Texans are telling the public changes my mind in any way. I've also heard that it is going to be tough to make a move with that pick because teams around the NFL don't value CJ Stroud the way that the public does. Man, this is going to end up being a really interesting draft, isn't it? Is it weird that I still believe CJ Stroud is going to get drafted by the Carolina Panthers? I, I don't think so at this point. I think they should. I don't think they will. I Could you... Im- Who's going to end up trading up? Like, let's say that they do trade out of that pick, because I think it's possible. Who do you think would be most likely to trade up for Anthony Richardson? Like, let's assume that what he just said there is true, and the NFL doesn't value C.J. Think- Stroud the way that we do. And oh, by the wow. way, C.J. Stroud is the quarterback from Ohio State, for those who don't cover the draft as closely as we do. And Anthony Richardson is the kid that played this year for Florida. Those are the two quarterbacks that are likely in the mix to be second or second or third quarterback taken. Can I give you a tinfoil? Sure. Oh, is this just about to tinfoil? Let's say it at the same time. All right. Three, two, one. The Baltimore. Jets. Okay, oh. shut the hell up. Mine's mine's Lamar Jackson traded to Houston for that number two pick. Because then Baltimore still keeps their first round pick. They get the number two pick to get a quarterback and can still draft a legitimate impact player with their first round pick. And Houston gets a quarterback. Now, do they pay that quarterback? That's up to them. I I like that one. That's an interesting one. The reason I said the Jets was, what if this scenario with Rodgers just falls through? And if you're the Houston, or excuse me, if you're the New York Jets, and you're not gaining any ground, they're not moving their asking price, and your owner's terrified of him retiring after the end of the season, trade up to that number two pick and go get your franchise guy. Zach Wilson's not it. You don't have a quarterback (laughs) on the roster. So that would be the team that I would just kind of say, 
tinfoil keep an eye on maybe they jump into this if you don't hear the riders deal done when we get closer and closer to that pick being selected uh the other team that i i I don't know if anybody trades up for it though because like indianapolis i think they're going to get their guy at four if they're going the quarterback route because arizona's not going to select i don't know if las vegas would trade up to the two spot to go get somebody because if they're taking a quarterback i imagine it's probably they would have interest in richardson if he drops down to seven I, I just don't know who's trading up for that pick. I, maybe Tennessee would jump up that high, but if I'm Vegas, I don't know. I'm going to wait and see if I get C.J. Stroud at that position. I, I think there's two teams that I would like to see move up most. Number one is Detroit. They pick at number six overall, and they also select at number 18. You package those two picks together. You might be able to move up. It might not be enough to get to number two, but it's pretty close. You could add a little bit more in there, a little more sweetener, and you're probably looking at potentially getting to number two with those two first-round picks. You take that quarterback at number two, man, they don't have a ton of needs on that team. You've still got your second-round picks. You're good to go. I would like to see Detroit make that move. Go get your quarterback of the future. Jared Goff is not your answer long-term. We all know that. He can be the answer for right now, though. Start Jared Goff this year, put him on the one-year waiting trial. So I would go get Anthony Richardson in that scenario, sit him for a year, let him start next year, see what that looks like. The other team that I would add into this mix of being potentially interesting is Atlanta. I have never understood why they're standing pat at the position. They are a team that has some really good weapons around their quarterback. I think their coach is a good one. Man, trade up, go get Anthony Richardson, add him into that running game that we know that they've got ready to go there. I... I think Atlanta is the team that makes all the sense to be able to trade up either to two or three. I like the Atlanta one. I do too. Detroit, to me, I feel like they would be better equipped this season to draft somebody sixth and 18th and compete this year and figure out the quarterback situation after this year with Jared Goff. The reason why I would do it is because I don't think they're going to be picking this high again. And if you try to trade up in the future, if it doesn't work out with Jared Goff, you're talking about trading like three future firsts to be able to get into a position to be able to take one of the top three guys in a draft. But if you select six and 18th and get two playmakers on that roster and then say next year, we need a quarterback to get us over the hump. Isn't it worth giving up those next three first round picks for that game changing quarterback? If you get the quarterback, like regardless of the price, whatever the price is that you name Lamar Jackson's that guy next year for him. Maybe, but like if you're a team, if you're the bills and you gave up, Seven first-round picks for Josh Allen. Worth it. You got your quarterback. Yeah. If you're the Chiefs, you gave up four first-round picks for Patrick Mahomes. Worth it. Whatever it is, if you're able to get that guy on that rookie deal and he's a superstar Joe Burrow, imagine what the Bengals would have given up to be able to get that guy. It's worth it. So, sure, they could end up giving up a bunch of picks next year. You make it work. But you're in a situation right now where you can go get that guy. And if you value him... I think it would make sense for them to I, go up there and get him. I, I would be curious to know how Washington values either Stroud or Richardson. They're the team to me that always makes sense Why? to go out. They love and Sam Howell. Get a quarterback. That's fair. One because Sam Howell stinks, and <laughs> and two, like that roster's got weapons on it. They've got a good defense. They've got Terry uh, McLaurin that's out there at wide receiver. Like they've got the pieces on a roster. The only thing they are missing is the quarterback. So I, I wonder if they're a team to keep an eye on to potentially move up. I, again, I don't know how they value Stroud I mean, there's a or Richardson or Levis. You mentioned Tennessee. They could do it. New England, I think, is a team that should be thrown into these conversations yeah. because they clearly don't like Mac Jones there. Washington, uh, Detroit, I mentioned. Tampa Bay could absolutely mortgage the future to say, you know what, we've got a good team. Let's go get a young quarterback that we can reset the clock and get in here on a rookie deal. Right now, Baker Mayfield's their starting quarterback. That guy isn't any good. He's great for the Rams. In Maybe the Minnesota games. says bleep it. 
We're going to move on from Kirk Cousins after this season. We're going to reset the books. We're going to give a massive contract to Justin Jefferson. They could be a team that looks to do something like this. There's a bunch of teams that are in this scenario, potentially, if both Houston and Arizona decide they're going to be moving. The one that makes the most sense, though, like Indianapolis. Get on the phone, guys. Come on. Why? They love Will Levis. You need a quarterback. We love Will Levis. Go go trade up. Go be aggressive. We all know that you want want Will. We We want Will. We want Will. The Blues are placing a massive bet, not on Will, but on Thomas Kyrou and Buchnay. We We should talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. (laughs) We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bergeron like there's a guy that can play a game and have zeros right across the board and be the most effective player that's where that's where a guy like Bucci we need to see if he can get to which is being a dominant player when the puck's not going for you and that's a mindset that that's willing to go from potentially an 85 point player to a 70 point player and see that being a good thing not a bad thing and that's a maturity level, and that's where I think Booch is at now. And I think I think he's excited about that. Whether it's at the middle of the ice or the wing, a lot will be predicated on what we do. And I and certainly I gotta sit with the coach and get his vision of, of how it works out. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, did you know that the only player on the Boston Bruins that had more points than either Pavel Buchnevich or Jordan Cairo this year was David Posternock. David Posternock oh, was the pasta. only one. On the Boston Bruins that outperformed in terms of points, what Booch and Kairou did this season for the Blues. Overrated. The reason why I bring this up is because I found it really interesting. That was uh, Doug Armstrong over the weekend speaking with the media in his postseason press availability about what he's looking for from Pavel Buchnevich. But he also said something pretty similar from Jordan Kairou and Robert Thomas's perspective as well. It sure sounds like they would like to get those guys to be better 200 foot players. Now, I'm going to set Cairo aside in this conversation for a minute because his Why, expectations buddy? as a 200 foot player are slightly different than Bushnevich or Thomas. Don't think he can get there, huh? But I, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> With Thomas and Bushnevich, I do think there's something to be said about this, especially those two, because Buch we've seen can be an elite defensive player, man. He is best penalty killer on the team, best penalty killer in franchise history. Whoa! And I have the historical references in the back of my noggin to be able to say such a claim. I don't think you do. With Robert Thomas, I also think he has the capability to be a, at worst, good defensive player. That's the next step for them. It's about taking that step into being considered high-level defensive players as well as being potent offensive threats. Do you think they can get there by next season? I do. I I absolutely do. One, I believe missing the playoffs is beneficial for... Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou more than anybody else on this team because both guys since they've been with the Blues only know postseason. They only know postseason. It's been a team that gets there every year. Guess what? Now you guys are the face of the franchise and we missed the playoffs for the first time in, in what, 10, 7 years? Now it's on you. So I think it's going to be good for them. Thomas can get there. We saw trends of Robert Thomas last season uh, on the positive side of being a two-way player 
And Pavel Buchnevich, we said this about a month or two ago when they started the idea of him being a centerman and saying, like, Pavel Buchnevich realistically could be like a Patrice Bergeron. He could be in the Selkie Trophy conversation of the best defensive forward, depending on his ice time. You've already seen he's a point producer, and now you've seen that, yeah, he struggles in the faceoffs, and Booch said it on Saturday, I promise I get better at faceoffs. He said that, like, verbatim. It was fantastic. He gets better at faceoffs, even if he's not a centerman. You're going to be looking at a guy who's going to be playing 18, 19 minutes a night. And if you, and this is what Doug told us earlier, if you focus in the coaching staff once more of the two-way game and less of the offensive juggernaut, well, then that's the commitment that you're going to have to make. You're going to have to take away from some of your game so that you can be more of a responsible player. And I thought Craig Bruby had the best quote when it comes to this on Saturday. He said, I don't care about turnovers. You could turn the puck over. You're going to turn the puck over because you're trying to create offense. I care about when you turn the puck over. You're not looking at the ceiling wondering why you turned the puck over. You're you're skating backwards, and you're just as responsible in your own zone as you are in the offensive zone. Buchnevich can get there. Thomas can get there. I even believe Kairou can get there. But it's not about coaching. It's not about schematics. It's about commitment to that style of play. Buch has shown it. Thomas has shown it. And Kairou, we're going to see if he shows it. So this is why I wanted to set Kairou to the side for a minute. is because... If Kairou takes the jump from bad to below average and you get a jump from Buchnevich that puts him into that elite category, from being very good to potentially elite defensively, and from Thomas, who I think was average to above average maybe defensively this year, to quite good defensively, if those three are on a line together, which I think is possible next year, the elite defender in Buchnevich, the very good defender in Thomas – that can make up for a below-average defender in Jordan Cairo. You look over to Boston, man, David Posternock is not out there known for his defense. No, he is not. not what he's on the ice for. He, in the words of Ali Marmol, is dogging it. it. Well, he's out there to score goals. He scored 60 of them this year. That makes up for any defensive lapses that he may have. You know what else helps in that regard? Having Patrice Bergeron <laughs> and Brad Marchand and David Krejci on that team. Yeah. Like, those guys make it so you can put a defensive liability on their lines and say, ah, we got it. We've got this taken care of. Yeah, we know that guy's not going to be the same level of defender that I am. We'll figure it out. We'll make it work with that guy on the ice with us because that guy also makes us look really bleeping good when we're on the ice as they're scoring goals. They know that. So that's where this Blues team has to get. When Yakub Braun is on the ice, who's the centerman? Can they make up for his lack of defense? Can the winger that is with them also help prop up what he is defensively? Because Verona's going to make him look pretty good on the offensive side of things. He's going to boost their assist numbers higher than they would be otherwise because he's going to be putting the puck in the back of the net. Same thing's true for Jordan Cairo. But man, you've got to be able to make up for those defensive lapses if you're going to have them on the ice for 18 minutes a night. This is why, and I know this is like way too early to be talking about it, but I like I project the top nine next season. I actually don't project Kairou to play with Thomas. I think Kairou and Braden Shen need to be playing together because Kairou's best game is with Braden Shen. And it's because Braden Shen is that responsible player, but it gets the best out of Kairou. But does it change if Thomas takes that step forward? No, because I want the, I want length. Like the reason Boston is so strong, but is, you could put Verona maybe with Shin, for example. Maybe I, I actually 
would view more of a Verona as somebody that I'd play with a Thomas and Buchnevich. Because if I get the best out of those sure. two and you've Same got idea. the offense and then you put Cairo and Shen with Brandon Saad and then your third line is... I think a, it works the same either way. You're, you're having to mask for the defensive liabilities that you're having. There. And I'm also going with the, the length of a lineup because Boston, like Boston, not that they weren't having success prior, but the reason they were so dominant this year is because Pasternak wasn't playing with Bergeron and Martian. He was playing with David Krejci and they were able to give more opportunities for a guy like like a Jake DeBrusque in the top line who became a 30 goal scorer for them. So I, that's why I, I would strongly urge Buchnevich to be a winger and spend money or make a trade on a centerman who could win more faceoffs for you because that lengthens your lineup to the point that you're not relying on Thomas Cairo and Buchnevich as one line to score. You're able to spread the wealth and get that connectivity on the ice. I would like to see basically the equivalent of, uh, Hit me Not with a it. Ryan O'Reilly, but somebody kind of like Ryan O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Oh, okay. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the Bagel Loan, featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, we finished the show today where we began, which is with the Cardinals offense. Listen, Cardinals have some pitching issues. We all knew that coming into the season. That's a personnel problem, not a production relative to expectation problem. The offense is, however, what they're doing with runners in scoring position is just not good enough. Uh, They've been batting 245 with runners in scoring position. They have basically no power in those spots so far this year. They're Fifth in batting average, they're seventh in OPS and 22nd in runs. It's not hard to explain why that's happening. It's both a little bit of luck and and the bad side of things, and also it's them not coming up clutch. Like, I'll give credit where it's due or take away credit where it's not due. The Cardinals have not showed up in those big spots so far this year. They start a new series tonight against the Arizona Diamondbacks. T-Bone's going to be in attendance tonight, so you know that means it's going to be a weird game because we yeah. only go to weird games. Alex, what are your expectations going into this series for the Cardinals? Not great. I mean, you're starting the series off against Merrill Kelly, and if it goes anything like they just went up against the Pittsburgh Pirates pitching staff, you're going to have some issues tonight. Now, on the pitching side of things, I mean, I'm actually very excited to see Jack Flaherty perform once again too. following yeah. up his last one. But look, I mean, you're going to have to find a way to start performing against these pitching staffs, and maybe it's not against the starting pitcher because maybe when you go up against these guys, you are going to struggle. But how do you perform against the bullpen pitcher? At some point, I'd like to see the clutch gene so it show itself up for this Cardinals team, and they've done it in spurts. We saw it last year. We've seen it in spurts this season. But guess what? That is the biggest reason why I'm not buying this team can make a deep playoff run. And so far, they're backing my expectation. Yeah, I, I think they need to take two or three in this series. And, I, and they're going up against some pretty good pitching again. So don't be shocked if I use that excuse come. Oh, Checks calendar on the 21st. Use that excuse all uh, season long. But they should win on uh, what is it Wednesday when they face Madison Bumgarner. A, he's not good, and this team crushes left-handers. Oh, well, there you go. How, no how, can they, how can they find a way to beat, beat whether it be Merrill Kelly tonight or... Uh, I believe it's Dre Jamison, 
tomorrow. Two really good right-handed pitchers, and Jameson is a rookie. And they've got, the, but the Cardinals have their two best guys going. I expect a great outing from Jack Flaherty tonight, and I expect a good one from Jordan Montgomery. That's why I think this should be one of those series where they should take two or three. They, this offensive has got to find a way to beat one of these two right-handers in the first two games because I know they should be able to beat Madison Bumgarner. Can they find a way to do it against these two righties that are really good? That That is my biggest question mark. And they've got their two best pitchers going. So there should be no excuse not to take two or three in this series, in my opinion. You Going into this series, you have Jack Flaherty going into tonight. So I, I'm super curious to see what that looks like. His last start was legitimately encouraging. The only yeah but that was there was the lineup that he was going up against. That doesn't exist tonight. You're going up against a solid lineup uh, for the Diamondbacks this year. It's very talented, even though they haven't put it together all the way so far this season. Uh, if he performs well again, it's going to start being on the encouraging side of things, and maybe we join in with where Tanner's at with Jack Flaherty. Never. We talk a lot about who they go up against pitching-wise and whether or not they're able to beat good pitching. Man, I want to see this offense get back to what it was against Toronto. Against Toronto, you scored 22 runs in a three-game series, and they had their best dudes on the mound in that one. You saw Manoa. You saw Gossman. You saw Bassett. You hit him around. You got him out of the game early, and you were able to get to the underbelly of the bullpen. Do that. Show some of that in this series against uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Be able to get some some hits with runners in scoring position. That's the kind of thing that we need to see sooner rather than later. It's got to start showing up eventually. It can't just be projection. It's got to start being production. We'll talk about that tomorrow here on the show. If you missed any of today's show, including our really candid, I thought, conversation with Blues president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong, be sure to check that out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We also have a conversation with Katie Wu and our discussion on Jordan Hicks, what the Cardinals should do with him. You find that all on the podcast page. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Well, just before you go, if you have something that's magical, don't share it with anybody. We want to win that lottery. <laughs> Custom made. Maximus Oh, yeah, don't... <laughs> You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.